Mr. Robot Season 2, Episode 9, In It 5 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, Mr. Robot Season 2 Podcasting, recommencing right now. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by my co-host, who also believes that Paul Reiser is underrated, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, what's going on? Josh, what's going on? Such a heartwarming moment last night. Paul Reiser featured in this discussion on Mr. Robot about being underrated. Sam Esmail makes a plea on Twitter for Paul Reiser to watch the episode. Paul Reiser does. Pay Sam Esmail tons of compliments. Sam Esmail says, I had a great night. Awesome time, Josh. You know, not for nothing, uh, getting the man who played Burke to become a member of E-Corp and to truly work for the evil company, I feel like would be really great for Mr. Robot Season 3. <laughs> a Season 3 idea. That's yeah, good. I'm yeah. just, I thought you were going to say before the end of this season. Well, what if, what if this is setting up the arrival of Paul Reiser as the big bad pulling the strings on both Philip Price and White Rose? He is Reiser. Yes, oh he's God. back. That would be great. That would be yeah. fantastic. Except it would be, look, it would be like a show where you're not sure if you're watching Elliot or Mr. Robot or who's turning into whom or whatever. My uh, body feels weird. Yes. Are we are we fully transitioning into the sitcom world? That's what I'd be wondering. <laughs> I'm overheating. I'm a little mad about you, Mr. I'm Robot. I'm a little mad about this suggestion. I'm a little mad about this intro. Just kidding. I'm thrilled with this intro. I'm psyched to be back here on Mr. Robot after, uh, I mean, I was here last week, but now I feel like we're really locked in. We've got Elliot back in the mix. Things are really ticking up. Things are getting very intense. We don't know how many Elliots there are right now. At least one Elliot that has done something that our Elliot is not aware of. So many wild and wonderful things happening in this episode of Mr. Robot, Antonio. Yeah, and what's crazy is we're here in episode nine. The, the numbering is a little interesting because we have an episode zero and all that. But this is the ninth episode, the ninth, the ninth unit of the season that is episodic, if you will. And the ninth unit, by the way, is the name of my developing young adult adaptation. Oh, really? Uh, that's it's little... an adaptation of my novel, The Ninth Unit. Oh, that's a little concerning, actually. Yeah, uh, the, the word unit when you're a young adult, it means it's, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's a really great post-apocalypse book. I suggest you guys check it out. Ninth unit, huh? The ninth unit. YA. It's all YA all the way? Yeah, that's right. Not a, not, a, not not a hard A. It's not leaning A. It's just Y A. No, it's a Y A Y A adaptation. All right. Well, I guess you're right there in the in the in the marketplace. But no, seriously, nine episodes in, and 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 we're still not denying. We're we're just we're just building more theories. We're not. We're getting answers. We're seeing things now. We're seeing Elliot in the first the first time he entered the prison. We know who was knocking. We found that out in this episode, Josh. And yet. We have another knock. We still don't know where Tyrell is. Crazy things are happening between Elliot and Mr. Robot. Uh, so as many things that have been as, as have been answered, there are more questions being introduced. And there are very many popular theories that are still floating around out there nine episodes into the season. So we're making a lot of progress, even though we're taking two steps back, as White Rose might say. All right, so let's start talking about this episode. Before we do, just your reminder that you can subscribe to the Mr. Robot Podcast if you have not done so already. Please do. Postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes. That's MR Robot iTunes. Your ratings, your reviews, we would appreciate them all. Subscribe there. That's how you make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast. Let's hop right into it. And really, I mean, we took a week off between the reveal that Elliot was in prison and this week, Elliot's return. Elliot was completely absent in the all-dark 
Charlene, All F Society, All the Time episode from last week that a lot of people really, really loved. Also really enjoyed that episode. But it's great to have Elliot back here. And finally, an answer to the knock on the door. They really don't BS around this time. They hop right into it. And they finally let us see exactly what happened to Elliot when season one ended. They literally hop right into it. As a matter of fact, if you're watching this not in a a streaming form, if you watch this as it was airing on TV, you would see the previously on segment and then there's no delineation. It jumps right from the last scene of previously on. It doesn't fade to black, doesn't show you that you're in the episode. You just go right into the episode. I don't think I've ever seen the show do that. It was on it was awesome. Yeah, it was really great, and it cuts right into it exactly from the previously on into the episode proper. The door is open, and again, like there's no no BSing around in terms of the story as well. The cops immediately come in. Elliot Alderson, you are under arrest. Yeah, and uh, you're under arrest for theft of the dog and for hacking. So it's not even anything that's unsure. They they do the very nice job for the audience of telling Elliot specifically what he's under arrest for right away. Yeah, so we are very happy about this, Antonio. On Robot Road, I know that you especially were really tracking what's going on with Mr. Lenny Michael or whatever his name is. I believe it's Lenny Shannon officially. Yeah, another first name. That doesn't help. Lenny Michael Shannon is a very intimidating idea. (laughs) Yes, it very much is. I think that's, uh, I think you just rebooted uh, Of Mice and Men. Oh my God, that's a scary, scary, scary idea. It's Michael Shannon playing both George and Lenny. Yes, well, he can play Lenny, but he can also play George. So he's got a lot of range this guy michael shannon i just like the idea of a one man of mice and men with michael shannon in literally every single role he could be curly as well he could be candy you've been watching too much mr robot it could just be called of mice and man he could be the mouse he could be the rabbit <laughs> yes curly's uh, wife this is great there's a yeah, lot of curly, potential here curly's gold uh all right so let's talk this through so we find out that yes this was this was really your hunch um that lenny who is this guy that elliot steals flipper from he's this real jerk hole who is dating krista in the very first episode of mr robot pops up in the season one finale we have not heard hide nor hair from that guy throughout season two until now definitely makes a lot of sense that the thing that elliot was busted for was taking Flipper and all of the hacking that came with it when he went after Lenny, given the axe that Lenny very clearly had to grind against Elliot in his most recent appearance before this episode. Yeah, and and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's sad. It's as far as the 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 stage that Mister Robot is set upon and the global affairs that are in order and that are in question and the chaos and shootings and international espionage and toxic leaks, the theft of one sad man's dog does not really <laughs> seem to play up. But yet, this is the thing. This is the main thing that put Elliot on the shelf for like ninety days. Could have been a lot longer, and that that really was was what took him down. Not the thing where he hacked the whole world, but the thing where he hacked one sad stupid dude who just wouldn't give it up and so that makes a lot of sense what what about this though josh and i want to know from a, from a sense-making standpoint from an in general standpoint we said how we went right from the credit sequence to the scene from last season where elliot is sitting at his computer watching the hack unfold when there's a knock at the door in this case though we're not only getting a previous scene that we'd seen before we're also getting a rehash of Elliot's previous voiceover regarding journeys and destinations. Elliot's voiceover here at the beginning of this episode is basically the what if the destination is you voice or voiceover that he had a couple of episodes ago when he essentially had made his peace with Mr. Robot. He's burning his notebook with Hot Carlo the Pyro and he's delivering this voiceover about the voiceover 
offer that he delivers then is, I was on a route to cure myself of Mr. Robot. The regiment was supposed to be that path. I never thought the regiment would be the thing that would lead me right back where I started. People always told me growing up that it's never about the destination. It's about the journey. But what if the destination is you? What if it's always you? And that's basically what he repeats. The people always told me growing up, uh, never about the journey. It's about the destination. But what if the destination is you? What do you make of the fact that we're getting this repeat voiceover right here at the beginning at the time when he was arrested? Well, I mean, I think that we've just been on a journey and the journey was the, the destination of that journey was coming back to Elliot and coming back to baseline Elliot and seeing what Elliot has actually been through. I mean, we've been on this wild ride with Elliot all season long, seeing it through these vision tinted glasses. You know, we are not seeing the actual circumstances that Elliot is in. Many of us theorized and got pretty close to what was going on with Elliot in reality, but we were only allowed to see the world through his lens. And now we are finally at the destination where we are seeing what Elliot knows. There is probably a lot more journey to go, I would certainly hope, but I think that that's what he's referring to here, unless you've got a different take on no, it. No, I think that's a, I think that's really a, a, a brilliant kind of spot-on observation about what maybe this was meant to connect, that Elliot, and baseline Elliot, and what he's been up to is what he's been searching for, and that that is the destination, that he is the destination, that finding some normalcy in his life, that is the path that we're on. And I I think it's important for us to frame not only this interaction and this return to that story because we we quickly get the whole thing in a montage that lasts for a cold open a really long time it's like eight minutes but for how long he was in jail that's a minute per 10 days you know so it's not the it's not the full-on jail sequence of everything he did during that time it's a very quick summary of it all and i think they do a really good job of tying up most of the loose ends there showing you things you needed to see but the journey and the destination are Elliot. And this episode after this scene really does place that in the forefront, but also in the background. There are brownouts going on, but Elliot's having brownouts of his own. And I think that what's going on with Elliot is a big thing that's happening in this episode while the narrative is just progressing all around him. Yeah, I mean, just to dial back to something you said as we're starting to march through these couple of scenes coming up, I really loved, I'm, I, I, we didn't need like a full-blown Elliot in prison episode. Like, we don't need to go to Oz, we don't need to go to M-City, we don't need to see Schillinger, and we don't need to see Kareem Said, and we don't need to see everybody who, you know, has influenced Elliot's actual life over the past several weeks, 80-something days, what is it, 80, 86, does he say? Something like that, yeah. 86 days, I believe. We don't need to see the full episode devoted to that. But I do do think we needed to see a little bit more of what this prison life has been like for Elliot. So a really smart choice to dedicate an entire cold open to Elliot's life in prison. Elliot coming to prison for the first time, getting the book thrown at him basically because he wants it thrown at him, letting us see that Elliot's circumstances, Elliot being in the situation that he is in, that he really is in control of it to a degree at least, that he is the person that he has all of this advice on how to at least minimize his sentence but he just pleads guilty he wants it all he wants to take this opportunity to take mr robot down to erase mr robot from his memory banks we see mr robot is pissed about this when he is on the other side of the video feed which is such a hilarious use of christian slater as mr robot but i think it's really cool because people have probably been relatively annoyed i think that that's an understatement there's certainly a segment of the audience of mr robot that is not thrilled with season two that has not been loving the fact that 
that Elliot has been so far removed from the action. But for me, at least, and I've always been a fan of this, I've been enjoying this season very, very much, but I like it even more, and I hope that some of the naysayers maybe like it a little bit more. Now that you see that Elliot was really in control of the decision to go as hard into the slammer as he has gone, to really take this opportunity to scrub Mr. Robot, right at the height of Mr. Robot probably, you know, orchestrating whatever stage two is, you know, whatever plans he might be putting into motion. There is a reason why he is so fired up and furious when Elliot makes this move. It's really cool to see that from Elliot's perspective. It's really cool to see the prison from his perspective. And I think all of that is really necessary for us to see at this stage as we're segueing Elliot back into the plot. But I think if we had started with this in this season, if this had been the first thing that we saw, if we picked up immediately from where the knock, you know, left off and we see that he's arrested and we see he's in prison. I don't think that any of this war with Elliot and Mr. Robot really would have played as well. I think that it's such a metaphysical mental battle played out on this almost spiritual existence, the spiritual plane. I don't think any of that plays if you hop right into Elliot being in prison. I think that this ruse, this deceit was very necessary to get to where we are right now. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think it played a lot better uh, as it was than if you would have just jumped right in. And even if you stage all of the Ray stuff as though Ray is the warden, even if you show Elliot in orange and you get rid of all the mom stuff and you just have Elliot be in jail, I don't think that, I think the criticism would have been harsher. Why are we spending so much time in jail? We're not doing anything focused on this. I think the fact that it seemed like a different thing, I think it adds a lot of value. The, the other thing I will say is, Elliot delivers the journey destination voiceover earlier in the earlier episode as he's burning the notebook he was keeping to try to keep Mr. Robot at bay. So it's a very symbolic thing when he's talking about the journey and the destination there because he's decided to be at peace and live and cohabitate essentially with Mr. Robot. In fact, as Elliot is finished delivering that monologue earlier, or the voiceover earlier, uh, Mr. Robot shows up and watches him burning the very notebook he was using to try to keep Mr. Robot at bay. So Elliot it's delivering it at the beginning of this episode in an episode where Elliot is having some serious issues keeping Mr. Robot at bay. And I do think there's an interesting parallel of there between the, the same voiceover being delivered in two different episodes where Elliot's in a very different headspace when it comes to what he's doing with Mr. Robot. So I think that there's value in that as well as taking us to prison, showing us Elliot. I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of connectivity, a lot of connective tissue between Elliot at war with Mr. Robot and the psychological battle we did see play out over those episodes as you're talking about. And then Elliot at war with Mr. Robot, but not really offensively. It's just kind of happening in this episode. And I can't wait to talk to you about how you feel about Mr. Mr. Robot's motivations throughout. As you're saying in this court scene here, when he's screaming, no, he's crazy. He's not sound of mind. That's hilarious, first of all. because It's great. It's so funny. Yeah, to have the voice inside your head saying you're crazy is perfect. It's perfectly on point. But it's also Mr. Robot. Maybe he's trying to protect stage two. Maybe he's trying to protect the unknown. We don't really know what he's trying to protect specifically, but he seems to have the agenda of not getting Elliot sent to prison. And I don't know if that's because he feels like prison might be able to get Elliot to put Mr. Robot at bay or what. If you'll recall, 
where we pick up Elliot and Mr. Robot while they're in prison is Mr. Robot is as hostile to Elliot as we've ever seen. He's literally repeatedly shooting him in the head. Right. So this is Mr. Robot's response when Elliot starts this routine to try to get rid of him. Uh, and he's fighting it from the jump before they even go to jail. I think he's recognizing, shoot, if he gets time to sit with his own thoughts in his own private space and collect his thoughts, I'm done. I'm toast. He's going to get rid of me. So I, I think some of his response is rooted in that as well. And I want to track his response to the rest of the stuff that goes on in this episode, whether you feel like he's malevolent or whether you feel like he's chaotic or what, what you feel about what's going on between Elliot and Mr. Rob. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Oh, that. it's going to be great. There's a lot of meat to chew on in that regard. But I think that just overall as an idea, you know, really, you know, what is the point of the whole prison storyline? I think that that's a great thing that you said. Like if we are seeing that start to finish as it was, a lot of people I do think would be wondering what the hell is the point of this? Well, the prison isn't like imprisonment is not really the point of it. Elliot needed to be locked away to handle the ramifications of the Mr. Robot reveal needed to hash that out, needed to get to some sort of resolution with that. And that's not something that you can really just accomplish in an episode or two. You really need to dig down and drill into this idea of Elliot having this other personality and knowing about it finally and having to confront that. And I think that's why you really need Elliot in the situation that he's been in throughout season two up until this point because as we will talk about in great detail as this podcast rolls along i think that elliot versus mr robot is you know it has been a key point if not the key point throughout mr robot so far and this stalemate that they arrived at a few episodes ago this sort of peaceful resolution that they seemingly reached not just through the chess match uh but the sitcom situation and mr robot taking punches for elliot and the two of them working in concert to bust ray and get themselves taken out of prison and now they're finally both agreed that they are ready to fix this f society situation to go back to the cause i think we needed to get to a place where elliot was willing to trust himself again to put himself behind the wheel because i think as we are seeing mr robot's got some other things up his sleeve that elliot's not fully aware of uh that's a huge huge thing to put elliot into that position i think you really needed to do some work to get there so i'm really happy that we're finally at that point uh i think that we are at the at the precipice of some really really amazing stuff but i think that we've been through some amazing stuff i think the journey has been amazing and the destination that we've currently arrived at is also pretty good so very happy with this opening sequence and very happy with the way that this whole prison situation was handled from the beginning of season two through this point the fact that elliot has agency over his own or the, the guilty plea over all of that is is i think evidence of everything that you've said is the evidence that elliot not only needed to do those things to clear his headspace, to not be involved in an ongoing story of who's running from whom, who's doing this, who's hiding where, what's the next action. He's not caught up in that. He's, he's set himself in jail. The first thing he asks Leon for when Leon gives him the Shawshank treatment and, and references Shawshank almost directly by yeah, saying... Yeah, you're the only guilty man in prison. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And then tells him, I'm the guy who can get you anything. The only thing Elliot asks for, even though, White, or even though Leon offers him whatever he wants, basically, the only thing he asks for is a notebook. We know what he uses that notebook for. So 
Elliot's agency in this. Elliot, I think, had desired to get rid of Mr. Robot. They did come to a very uncomfortable or after a, a lot of discomfort, I should say. They came to a truce, a peaceful truce, when they realized that they were on the same side against malevolent forces that were going against Elliot. So that would be Ray and Lone Star and the beatings that came. That's when Elliot was like, maybe Mr. Robot isn't all bad for me. Maybe we can. Before that, he wanted to kill him with the game of chess. He wanted to literally get rid of him forever, was willing to risk his own existence to do that. And he left prison on a much different note with Mr. Robot. But I, I don't think he settled anything. I just think they came to this loose truce about who was looking out for whom. He did thank him for that. And I think that's where we left it with the notebook burning. But Elliot has always been the destination. The journey has led us in a lot of different places with regard to that, even taken us to prison. But the destination is still the same. And that's still in play. So I think this is a great way to open the episode. Uh, I, I loved when... They showed Michael like Lenny Shannon in close up, and he, oh, adios, you son of a bitch! Yeah, like, oh my god, <laughs> are we going to see this guy again, Josh? I hope not. I really hope not. I hope that that's it for Lenny Michael Shannon. I think that for him to just go off into the sunset with that being his final line, with his mild modicum of justice against Elliot Alderson for stealing Flipper and upending his life, I really hope that that line, adios, you son of a bitch, is it. I hope we never see that guy again. Yeah, me neither. Anything else from the prison sequence that you wanted to hit on we, we saw that we saw confirmation i think that the the david duke guys as leon calls them even though i think there was a hispanic guy in the group when they showed them last time but the the david duke guys are are prisoners not guards so man this was a dirty dirty county jail where even prisoners in the county jail were working with the warden to make money off of some dirty website I'm telling you, it's Oz, man. Like, that's classic Oz. Like, everything is so dramatic in jail, apparently, according to television. Like, yeah, but this, is, this is a very scary place to go. This is county jail. Like, I mean, I don't want to go to any jail, but as a lawyer, I've been in lots of them, and county jail is, is transient. I mean, there are people that stay in county jail six, nine months, but those are, those are usually lower-level people. If you've committed some greater crime, you don't usually sit in county jail that long unless you're currently awaiting trial. It's just odd to me. Uh, this cur- this county jail reads like a state prison. So good for Elliot, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe New York's different. I'm sure it is. I think I really only have one more thing to say on the point of the jail and Elliot's story this season and where we are right now. And I think it does tie back to that idea of uh, just like to offer another interpretation of it's about the destination. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. But what if the destination is you? What if it's always you? I think that that's a really instructive and productive way of looking at Mr. Robot ultimately. I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of people who have been frustrated with the season I think a lot of it probably comes down to the fact that when Mr. Robot had aired its first season, by the time that they were done with it, I think many people walked away from that feeling like Mr. Robot, like if they had to describe it to somebody who they wanted to get interested in the show, I think that they would say Mr. Robot is this crazy hacking show featuring this character named Elliot Alderson. And then you fill in the details however you want to fill them in later. I think really the best way to look at Mr. Robot is it's a show about a guy named Elliot Alderson and there happens to be some 
hacking stuff. I think the hacking stuff and the E-Corp and all of that, that's all hugely major, obviously. But I think that this is a show about Elliot and Elliot's battles and the wars that he is waging. And certainly E-Corp is on the hit list. Certainly F Society is a huge piece of that. But this internal battle of Elliot versus Mr. Robot is the show to me. And if you're looking at it from that perspective, and I feel like that's how the writing team and Sam Esmail, that I feel like that's how they view this show. I think you're going to get a lot more out of it. And if you look at it from that perspective, then Elliot has been centrally in the plot all season long, that the main plot has been what Elliot has been going through. And now it's going to thread into all of the other incredibly interesting stuff that we've been seeing all season long. That's a brilliant reading of the meta of it. I, I, I hope that they mean it in the most meta of ways. Listen, everybody who's complaining, we're going to repeat this journey destination speech again here, just in case you didn't get it the first time. And just in case you're this far into the season, still having problems with the Elliot versus Mr. Robot battle and all the time we're spending on that. It's about the journey and the destination, but both of, of them in this case are Elliot. This is his story. It's not about, as you're saying, it's, a, it's like a hack breaks out while we're in the middle of this great story about Elliot Alderson. And that's ultimately what, it's, what is happening. The crazy thing about Mr. Robot, the show, of course, is that the hack stuff and everything that's going on with DDP, with White Rose, with Philip Price, with Angela and Darlene, it's all really fascinating. Like, I just sit around and think about it. It's so fascinating and it's so good. So that is it, it, that a show can do both of those things, I think, is why when people look at Mr. Robot nine episodes into season two, the people like us who are loving season two, it's serving all those masters. There are right. no slaves. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's delivering on the narrative promise of this great espionage, high-level uh, international thriller, and it's also delivering on the great level of the drama of what's happening with Elliot and Mr. Robot. I think this prison scene was a great, tidy way to deal with, deal with everything that, that arose from everything we watched in a different way throughout the course of the first eight episodes. So kudos to everybody involved. I was really pleased with it. I was very pleased with it as well. All right, so Elliot is finally going to get out of jail. Say no to the credit card. You don't need that anymore. Don't even want it for sentimental value. Yeah, I love that in, in a weird way that Elliot is responsible. He hacked himself out of prison. Uh, and it took a little longer than probably he would have liked, but the hack that he created, the thing that he set in motion, is what set him free, according to this guard. Elliot believes it was also the Dark Army. Somebody pulls some strings somewhere. But we're seeing one of the potential beneficial fallouts of this hack is that Elliot freed himself from jail indirectly. So, hey, no harm done. Well, that's the thing. It's like... Things are so intense right now in the world that we really have to be, you know, we have to be pretty, like, we can't be so strict with nonviolent offenders. It's basically what it comes down to. Like, we don't have room in our prison for you, you know, and you've just done a really good thing, so it's pretty easy to commute your sentence. Uh, please be good out there. Yeah. Uh, but this situation that Elliot has created absolutely fed into his ability to be released here. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I think I love that there's too. been a lot of background, unintended consequences of the hacks, things that are coming up, whether it's Trenton's family talking about how they're not even sure they're going to be able to get equity out of their place because the bank is the bank has lost the information. So they can't prove how much money they had in the place and can they even sell it, whether it's the trash collection or whatever it is, whether it's Ahmed's store being closed so DDP can't get her turkey sandwiches anymore. We're seeing the unintended consequences of the hack throughout this season. Uh, this is a great poetic way for the unintended consequence of the hack to be the thing that springs Elliot from the trouble, the trouble he otherwise got himself into. So All I do right. love that. 
So we're activating init five and init five is supposed to be returned to normal. You know, the crisis is over. We're back in business. Things are great. Bright, bubbly colors and sound. The world is a beautiful place, except it's not. Uh, init five is supposed to set everything back to normal. You're supposed to get back to the world. Elliot says it's supposed to bring color and sound. Instead, the world is gray and quiet. This is a really beautiful moment when Elliot steps outside of the prison for the very first time since we've seen him all season long. He's finally free. There's a great moment that's very quietly played between him and Mr. Robot, where Mr. Robot's kind of just hanging in the background, because where else is he going to go, yeah. you know? <laughs> he really can't go anywhere I'd like to else. see if Mr. Robot just broke into a full sprint and ran away. <laughs> like, I Amazing. literally had nothing to do yes. with us being here. This is screwed yes. up, buddy. This is all yes. you. That'd be great. But then the really, really wonderful thing is seeing Elliot step out into the world and, you know, he's going to meet up with Darlene. He's going to eat a single French fry. Just one and that's, fry. that's like the best little French fry he has ever had. But even before that, it's that line. I love this line of it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be colorful. The sound is supposed to be bright. Uh, instead, the world is gray and quiet. This is. Elliot's first time engaging with, you know, the five nine hack world, other than that one day where he winds up in Times Square and blinks everyone in Times Square out of existence and Mr. Robot tells him to go home and bask in your work. He's then arrested and is in jail from that point until right now. Elliot is finally, finally walking out of prison into this world that he intended to be bright and colorful. Instead, it's gray and bleak. And now you are in the post five nine hack world. Welcome aboard, buddy. This is a fun place for you to operate in. Yeah, the uh, the journey never stops because you are the journey and you are the destination. So right. he has been in this place where he's focused on himself. He gets out. The world is not – he's not stealing his, anyone's sunshine. Someone else has stolen the sunshine. It's not there. He's actually the one maybe who is responsible for this weird roundabout thing that puts him in a position where he's going to have a solitary French fry. He's going to actually hug Darlene back, and we're going to have a lost in translation moment here, Josh. I love this. Yeah, Darlene is whispering something into Elliot's ear. Uh, we do not know what the whisper is. That's a great tradition, a great cinematic tradition of the whisper that you just don't know what has been said, and it's up to you to interpret it. But do you think that there is a, a more definitive uh, interpretation of Darlene's whisper here, as opposed to the ambiguous lost in translation, or Jack Bauer versus Nina Myers would probably be my go-to because I'm a weirdo. But do you think that there is anything more to what Darlene is whispering here? I'm sure Reddit is all over this. Oh, yeah. Reddit, there are lip readers on Reddit. Uh, they have suggested, I think, that Darlene was whispering generalities about cops and police and things that were out there. Uh, I think that the whisper in this instance is part of a motif in this episode that I think the director – oh, by the way, Sam Esmail directed every episode. I think he does a fantastic job of building this paranoia in this episode specifically. A lot of lingering shots of cameras, a lot of lingering shots of microphones, of volume controls. I think the whisper is one way to acknowledge that. Darlene talks about his play, Elliot's place probably being bugged. There's a ton of paranoia. In, we have a, a phone that is turned into an outgoing microphone that wasn't intended to, literally, in this episode. So I think this is a, a part of that. This is a part of that espionage-based paranoia where we see a character whisper but we don't really know what they say and she's probably whispering i don't know if we're being watched i don't know who's bugged 
drugged. We have to treat everything very carefully here. There's some there's stuff going on. So yeah. I think that's generally what she whispers. A lot of people are speculating, and this is where the real, I think, the value of Reddit comes into play. We have mentioned Reddit threads on past recent episodes of this podcast regarding Darlene, regarding things that may be in play with Darlene. And I think that's the real jumping off point that's going on here. Uh, There was a post from, again, I think this is the same poster we mentioned before, who's bringing these Darlene theories to bear, Blinky2310, and Blinky2310 still beating the drum for Darlene being a more malevolent force and believing that in Darlene's whisper in this scene, something happens that sets in motion the events that brown out Elliot and Mr. Robot in this episode and that blur them together such that both of them seem rattled by it. Are you buying into this malevolent Darlene anymore after this episode or is there just, is we just still, it's just a theory. As I once said in an audiobook, once upon a time, when asked to eulogize somebody that I have no uh, no eulogy for, I'm going to go with nope. Nope. Uh, I am I am not convinced of this idea of Darlene as a malevolent force. Other than you know she's obviously a troubled individual. She certainly has her fair share of baggage that she has dealt with over the course of two seasons now, almost two full seasons. I can certainly see her as a negative influence in Elliot's life. I don't think that she has bought him a lot of goodwill. I don't think that she has given him much that's enriched his life. I think that she has tossed him further and further down his own robot hole, but I don't buy into that as like an intentional act of I'm going to drive my brother insane so that I can unlock his secret personality that is actually a genius and that's the one that I need. I'm not buying into that with Darlene at all. Yeah, Blinky2310 proposes it in a very vague way, which is saying, this is what we know. A year ago, Elliot was doing fine before Darlene returned. When she turned up as a partner, with the mask. She got Elliot to put the jacket on. Mr. Robot emerged. The hack happened. Elliot went to prison, got some time to himself, got some time to himself, started making peace with his multiple personalities, was doing okay. Then when he gets out, Darlene's waiting for him, immediately whispers something in his ear. Then he screwed up again, losing time, overheating, etc. If it wasn't Darlene's whisper that broke him, what was it? Blinky2310 asks. And I think we'll have to track that throughout this episode. Why we feel... if I mean, I, I agree with you that it's a little... It's not the simplest or most i mean look the guy's got personality uh, multiple personality issues you don't put them to bed by writing a notebook and then burning it it just doesn't happen that way so that's why they re-emerge and what i like best is that we're seeing mr robot taking over in a way that he took over in many instances in season one that we didn't see. So when we saw Mr. Robot holding the gun on Romero, Elliot wasn't in that scene watching from the sidelines. Uh, Elliot was not even like he is or sitting on another couch or sitting in the background watching Mr. Robot act like we see him in this episode. Elliot wasn't there at all. So I like that we're seeing, I think we're seeing this process of how it happens, of how Mr. Robot becomes the dominant personality and how Elliot does slip out. And so I think that probably happened a lot in season one and we just never saw it and i like that we're seeing it now yeah i love it too there's gonna be plenty to talk about as we go through i've got lots of thoughts uh let's shift to a different storyline for now if you're cool with that. yeah no definitely i want to talk about angela 
Angela is great in this episode. Lots of really amazing things happening with Angela, starting with Angela just like has a taste for the espionage now. Like she's like she did like her one Mission Impossible thing, and now she's got to go immediately to MI two. Yeah, and I I liked it what we we saw from Angela. The, the timelines get a little hazy here, but if we track it. What happened ultimately, what, what Angela's grand plan seemed to involve ultimately was getting her hands on Evil Corpse per, or E Corpse personal interior unfettered files regarding the Washington Township incident. That's what her grand plan seems to have been. Are we on the same page about that? Uh, I don't know if it's her. Do you think it's her grand plan? Um, yeah, you know what? Probably yes. Yeah, I won't fight you on yeah, that. Yeah, like she went inside Evil Corp in part to right. get access to interior Evil Corp files. And she was originally put in the PR department. I think that at, at All Safe, she seemed to be more of a project manager than a tech manager. She seemed to be more client facing than computer facing. So I think she had some relative skill in the, in the area that they put her in. She showed an aptitude for it, but then she wanted to be moved to risk management. That was her big play when she chose to acquire capital. And she acquired capital by getting the contingency for inspection of that plant dropped from the lawsuit. Once she acquired that capital, she used it to get this risk management job. At first, in the risk management meetings, she tried to get into the high-level meetings. She got in there when she suggested she should be able to pull the file. The boss basically told her, I don't have to do anything with you. I don't like you. You're not getting anything from me. So now she's running an end around, and she's doing a different thing. She's hacking the guy. Yeah, she's hacking the guy. Uh, she's doing the the human hack in addition yeah, to the digital engineering. Hack. Yeah, some social engineering, getting the secretary out of the way, getting into the office, plugging in the rubber ducky, which was set up earlier in the season as basically just plug that in, get the info, unplug, you've got it. Um, and it's a great moment when she is doing that. And we've got the spoiler music is back in effect. Did you like that the spoiler music was there? I did. I felt like I was about to get spoiled on something. Oh my god, we're getting spoiled. I love that the spoiler section was back uh but there's this wonderful moment where angela looks up because somebody calls out to her and it's another higher up and has angela just been busted nope this guy just thinks that she is the secretary and just can't keep his blondes straight so it's just like another great way of showing how awful the higher up men of evil court really are yeah it's a really great little that's a good touch. small little note in that moment he knows Monica's name, even though he can't even remember that initially. And we know Monica is the one that's, that, that Angela has gotten out of the office with her social engineering. So it's, uh, it's really great. Angela gets to be Monica, and it's believable that the guy's secretary would be in the guy's office, and the, the, the dude just blows it off. So, yeah, great moment. Angela gets access to essentially his account login info by plugging that rubber ducky in. She uses the login info to log into the server to give her access to the files, access she she wouldn't have had on her own. She uses his info to get it, and when she gets in there, she Man, finds. this all sounds so risky. Like, there's, like, just a big yeah. risk sign uh, that is just hovering over this whole situation. Oh, you're saying that there's, yeah, that there's just literally an actual feels, sign. Yeah, it feels like there is literally a sign saying that there is risk ahead in this move that Angela is making. Yeah, like a big one. Like, maybe the biggest one they could find. Yeah, but, with, like, maybe, like, basically an arrow pointing down directly to Angela's head. So, like, you should really be clear that there's risk ahead for what Angela is doing right now. It does now. sound like that. 
Yeah. And in fact, on the show, there's literally a sign that just says risk ahead over Angela's head throughout this whole sequence. Yeah. And we had seen that risk ahead sign before. It was uh, it was established. I broke my nose on that sign. Wow. Oh, my God. I'm just bleeding all over the place. There's risk ahead, Josh. Come on. No. It... I love you, Mr. Robot. Maybe that one is just like really just like pushing it a little too hard. Yeah, there's risk ahead. And of course, like we had a Cisco truck last week before our son disappeared. So yeah. we're just going to get words on the screen now. Telling us what to do, I love it. That's a, that's a. I, I think that and all. Doesn't the, it feel like the people who are making Mr. Robot are literally just like saying hi to you in those moments? Like, hey guys, here, hi. We know that you're paying really close attention. Hello. I know Sam Esmail is a big fan of Stanley Kubrick and like something like in Doctor Strange Love, for example. There are all these peace and there's all these signs about peace in the background of the uh, of the of the 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 forts and the places that are set up with military troops. So I think it's funny that in the risk department, there's a big sign that says risk ahead and it's poised right over Angela's head. That's like the sword of Damocles that Leon talked about something hanging over Angela's head that she's got to deal with the whole time. And we do find out in this episode that Angela has been tracked for the last two months. She's not been acting on her own. So just being Angela is enough of a risk, but you're right. Big risk ahead. And there's a sign literally telling us that. So it's really funny. Really funny. All right, so what does Angela find here? She finds a record of all the Washington Township stuff that uh, my stuff that that they've got on file there at E Corp. Keeping in mind that this risk management department was also the department that worked with Madam Executioner, who we saw Madam executed last last episode. This is the department that handles all of the really dirty stuff that E Corp gets into. So she's fishing through the files. She sees other things that are in play that we don't really, we're only teasing around the edges of Northeast American pipeline failure. And then we have a lot of, a lot of vague stuff, unintended side effects, unethical business practice. That seems like a really dumb file to keep. Uh, if you're asking me, I'm going to keep a file on my work computer called unethical business practice, but I guess, I like that. I guess in risk management, you really, you gotta, you gotta know what, what's out there. You gotta know what your, your burn material is. So Seattle's, Securities fraud, misleading advertising, unethical licensing, e-phone patented trademark. But she finds in active cases the Washington Township file. And then there's – it looks like there's visit statements, local statements. But the key thing from there – is there, there are three different files listed as contaminate, contamination, it looks like it might be reportings, and it's from January 16th, June 14th, and July 6th of 2015. So yeah. current time. Yeah, that's uh, that's not great. You know, we thought that this big contamination, this toxic incident, the toxic sludge from which all these characters were born, as you like to say, I love saying that, that. that was that that was long ago. Uh, that that was it. That was the toxic incident, and now we're dealing with the mutants who were born from that. But it seems like maybe more mutants are being created. Yeah, and that is the big thing that causes Angela to go to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That's the big thing that the first guy Jeff that she meets with at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission says. This is big. You're going to be a whistleblower and all that. Keep in mind, of course, the original leak. There was already court case. There's already even been a settlement in that subsequent matter when Angela got the thing dismissed and had the class action and all of it. So that matter is all put to bed. 
but there's something ongoing there at that plant. They're still above toxic levels. Of course, they want the inspectors out because they don't want that noticed. This plant is becoming a major thing that is connecting all of our storylines. So Angela is out there in the wilderness at E-Corp on her own mostly and in, in this affair. And this it, it seemed like a folly throughout as she's just bounced from department no, to department. No, folly, folly was her ex-boyfriend. Fo- oh, F-U, Ollie. Yeah, exactly. Right. F-Ollie. That's folly. But yeah, right. so... She's been on a folly throughout, but here we are. She's she's dealing now with the plant and the things that are happening at the plant, and that's the same thing that White Rose is on about. That's the same thing Philip Price is currently concerned about, and Elliot and White Rose are coming into contact with each other. So all our stories are coming crashing together at this one location, and it's the place that started it all. So I think this is I great. mean, at this point, we're ready to plant the flag that the very final sequence of Mr. Robot is going to be this action scene at the power plant where Elliot is going to have to push Tyrell Wellick into the steaming hot molten lead, and then he himself is going to have to self-destruct in order to destroy Mr. Robot, and he's going to give a big thumbs up to Darlene as he drowns into the liquid magma. That sounds familiar. Uh, that would be a tribute. So That's my that's my prediction. I like it. That's where, I like it. That's where, we're, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. No, I think, I think you're right. I think obviously everything <laughs> going on with the plant here in Washington Township is an active situation. This is not just an artifact is really the is the main driving point. I think that we've been building toward that all season long if you're paying attention to what's going on with White Rose and White Rose's interests. But it's really great to have that information now that yeah, there's some uh, there's some not such great stuff going on in like the recent current events surrounding Washington Township. That's very troublesome. Well, and the big question mark in this episode, and we're going to get to it right in this next scene where Darlene and Elliot are on the train is what's up with stage two. If you'll recall when Elliot and Darlene met at Halloween, when Init 1 first came into play, we're at Init 5. They're not, they're not chronological. It doesn't work that way with, Init, you know, with Boots. But we're in Init 5, not Init 1. But within Init 1, when Darlene first shows up, Elliot puts on the mask when he's ranting about the, the hack. We could do this. We could do that. We could do this. We could do that. He says the hardest part would be after the hack, the aftermath, controlling what happened next. That would be the really difficult thing. And what we didn't see in season one was we didn't see Elliot's plan for that. We only know, knew about Elliot's plan for the hack. We don't know what the next phase after the hack, what the plan was. And honestly, we haven't been able to really see it executed because Elliot's been in jail. Yes. But now that he's out, he starts talking about stage two. And Darlene says, I think stage two maybe has something to do with the femtocell, that device, the, the portable cell phone tower that they had Angela place in the evil corp office that the FBI is occupying on the 27th floor or whatever. We know the Dark Army somehow maybe altered that device or at least inspected it before they gave it back to Cisco to put into the building. We know that that maybe that is part of stage two. And we're wondering, I guess, or I'm wondering, if stage two is somehow related to this power plant. Is there some greater plan in play? Or let's, not, let's just call it a, a plant, a factory, whatever that is. Uh, is that related to stage two? And I think that's the that's the discussion that we're we're circling around throughout this because Darlene tells Elliot you know, stage two might have something to do with the the fem to sell Trenton. Now we know Trenton is also MIA. Whoever knocked at that door in the coffee shop or maybe somebody else, Trenton is gone. Her parents are freaking out. They've filed a missing persons report. Mobley's parents are freaking out as well. I will add. <laughs> yes, the, the Mobley's parents are <laughs> freaking out. This is a bad yes. deal. 
<laughs> I'm very, very worried for my child. But yeah, no, we are we are finding out that that was weeks ago. Last week's episode, much time has passed since then. Uh, you know, talking about how the timeline is a little bit all over the place here in season two. We are what like three weeks removed from that at this point. Yeah, which squares up. We we spent a little bit of time last podcast talking about this when Elliot helps. Darlene getting the femme to sell thing set up. It's just before the 4th of July. Then as we saw last week, we saw what happened in the aftermath of, of that in the immediate few days following that. And maybe in the short time period after that, we saw what happened with F society, but we know Elliot had a huge time jump because right around that same time he took down Ray and they didn't get released from prison until about a month later. So we're about a, we're about three weeks from the incidents of last episode with F Society. Okay, so we're all on the same page now, and we also will learn that Darlene did not kill Cisco with a baseball bat, but apparently they got over it. Yeah, I guess they just got over it. I mean, look, this is a very violent relationship between. The I was going to say, shout out yeah. to Cisco for knowing who he's dating. Highs and lows. I mean, full shout out to Darlene for knowing who she's dating as well. Somebody that she can whoop in the face with a baseball bat and he'll come crawling back a couple days later. Yeah, I you mean, know, that, that guy is a pretty spineless individual. Hey, look, like that's going to happen. So that's, uh, that is ultimately, that is ultimately something that, that, uh, yeah, it's just going to happen. If you're, if you're dating Darlene, you're going to get hit in the head with the you're baseball bat. And hey, Darlene, if you're dating a guy, he probably should be the kind of guy you can hit in the, ba- in the head with the baseball bat and who might get over it. Yeah, P.S. He's also probably spying on you. But we will get into Cisco and Darlene and Elliot and Mr. Robot in a little bit. First, a pit stop. Darlene and Elliot are trying to lose any possible tales that they might have on their case. And one of the ways they're doing that, they're threading through different subway stations and different buildings and everything like that. And it seems like Elliot wants to actually pay a visit to somebody. This is not just a stop on their on their course, on their journey to get rid of the tale. It is a destination for Elliot. It is his mother's current whereabouts his actual mom not a fake mom not a fictional not a vision this is really his mother and she's where is this antonio is this a is this a retirement home is this a hospital seems like some kind of retirement home or maybe it's a psych ward i don't 100 percent know there's no tv in her room but there's it doesn't appear that there are extensive medical things in her room either there are cameras everywhere as you see darlene and elliot at this a little bit of a crossroads where one of them, Elliot, chooses to go into his mother's room and Darlene chooses to go hide in the stairwell. As they're standing there making that decision, there are two cameras, not one, posed right above their heads. They even walk into the frame such that it seems like the camera would be viewing them. I don't know if this will come back or if this is, again, just part of the general paranoia that is built in this episode with lingering shots of cameras or cameras being prominently placed in scenes. But I don't know about old folks' homes having cameras. I do know that maybe a psych ward or something like that uh, would have a camera uh, in play there, something that would have a little more security to it. It's We know Elliot's mom had some issues, and if Elliot has something that's genetic, and I'm not saying he does, uh, that would be a good place for that to come from. So it's possible that she's in it's some kind of like sanitarium or uh, maybe an asylum. Maybe it's Arkham, Josh. <laughs> no, it's not Arkham, but maybe. I mean, she could be one of Batman's rogues. You never know. She's certainly mean enough. Mrs. Roguebot. 
This is Rogue Bot. That's great. That's fantastic. So, yeah, Um, I don't know. We don't know exactly what's going on here. Very awkward, odd conversation between the two of them in that she says nothing and Elliot says everything. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people had questions about that, or at least we'd gotten emailed by Caleb Hunton, who had written in and asked, Elliot's mom is mean, but why wouldn't she want to talk to him? The whole scene with them just seemed strange. And I I don't know if it's so much that Elliot's mom didn't want to talk to Elliot. I read it as... I don't know that Elliot's mom is capable of talking to Elliot. Yeah, that's that sort of was my reading as well, that that he could have said anything. If she was an angry person, she could have easily responded. She didn't respond. I'm wondering if she can respond. That was certainly my read as well, is that there's a possibility that she just can't. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're trying to source Elliot, like if you're trying to track back his history and where things are going, maybe this provides a little bit of context. You know, Elliot's mother certainly has this reputation of being awful and physically abusive and emotionally abusive, and that's really all we have ever seen of her throughout the show. She has either been, you know, seen in flashbacks or visions of her that Elliot has seen during, you know, episodes like Steel Mountain and everything like that. She always comes across very, very, very harshly. To compare that, to contrast that to what we see in her in reality in the modern day context, that she is living alone, it seems like, probably in some sort of assisted living, uh, whether that is, you know, a benevolent assisted living or a malevolent assisted living, you take your pick, whatever is going on, she does not seem to be fully in control of her situation. I got the sense that she is closed off, not you know, intentionally, I think that there is something going on with her. And maybe that gives you a little bit of insight into where Elliot comes from in terms of somebody who seems so sweet sometimes. Elliot is our main character, is our protagonist, is the guy that we are hoping succeeds throughout all of this. But we also know that there is this other side of Elliot, this much darker side that has emerged on multiple occasions, has at the very least waved a gun in another human being's face, if not gone further than that currently believes that he has committed murder. Uh, so Elliot himself is somebody who is so, so representative of the duality of every person to see that reflected in his own mother in just a quiet moment like this, where she clearly has something wrong with her now and maybe always had something wrong with her and maybe not to justify anything that she has done in the past, but to explain it a little bit, I think is a nice touch. Yeah. And the parallel between Elliot and his mom, as you're saying is real because she's in some kind of institution, just like he was her, accommodations are shall we say spartan there's not much going on there just like his were we only see maybe one or two personal items in the room there's a sort of aseptic not really there's no edge to it kind of piece of art hanging on the wall there's something in a frame on top of a dresser there's a glass of water there's like an afghan on the chair that elliot sits down on there's really not much else so if all that is going on at that place she's in a very similar position as elliot was even in this episode when we saw Elliot institutionalized in a prison. So I think that there, there are not only the, 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 the character connections that come vis-a-vis their relationship, but there's also that great just parallel of seeing somebody, not a quite a six-by-nine-foot box, but it's not much bigger, and she doesn't seem to have much more agency. So it's, very, it's, it's great because Elliot is there thanking her for helping him get through a very similar situation, and she's just sitting there wordlessly hearing it. Uh, and I think 
think there's a lot of just great. There's a lot of great there that I'm, I'm just we I we have not as far as I'm personally concerned. We have on a show where somebody's dealing with his dead father all of the time. I still feel like we have not mined out Elliot and his mother enough. And I will say that I I'm curious what's in the frame. I'm curious what put her in the institution. I'm curious why she can't talk. Other people may not be. You may not be, Josh. But I I'm interested to learn more about Elliot's relationship with his mother for sure, and the fact that Darlene doesn't even enter the room. And right. when she was in the Halloween in it one episode, she mentions in passing that she didn't go talk to her mom. Like she doesn't even go there. So why doesn't she do that? Is it because she knows mom won't talk back and she doesn't want to see her like that? Is it because of their childhood? We don't really know. We just know that this is the woman who made Elliot want to die in a train crash when he was coming back from New York City as a kid rather than actually go home. I just think it's interesting, and I listen. I I would love to learn more about Elliot's mother as well. I think that there's plenty more material to mine there, and I hope that the show eventually goes there. But for right now, I'm pretty content with the information that we have. Me if too. we don't go back to it, I'm not destroyed. I think that we have the relevant information as it stands for right this moment, which is even though Elliot's other personality, even though Elliot's psychosis manifests in the form of his father, I feel like we are learning that maybe Elliot's issues genetically can be sourced back at least in part to his mother i think that that's a potentially very interesting reveal. yeah and I, I won't be pissed off if we don't go back there um speaking of pissed off <laughs> that's a good segue <laughs> you've been doing this for a while i feel like well, uh, i don't know do you want to make some flowers yeah let's make flowers don't make flowers look at the flowers uh here we go bd wong we have white rose back in america white ropes. And White Rose is uh, making some yellow roses right yes, now. Yes, 18 yellow roses. This is... Uh, yes. This is a funny scene, but it's also a, a terrifying scene. scene. Yes, yeah. I mean, like, you could get lost in the comedy of it, of just, like, B.D. Wong taking a piss, just crouching down. Dropping trow. Dropping trow and squeeze out and just peeing all over the flowers and just, like, giving, like, the sturdiest, like, deadliest look afterwards. Yes. Like, I'm feeling inclined now to take the same action I did then, just after she has confessed, at least privately, that she has killed the previous E-Corp CEO, and she just takes a piss on that guy's grave is a great funny character moment but you're right also very much instilling some danger into things and some information is revealed as the well the information i think is the is the most interesting part it's that that white rose has been dealing with whatever this plant or factory was since 1995 which means that white rose is in some way related i and this is how i read it that white rose is in some way related to everything that happened with elliot's dad everything that happened with angela's mom everything that happened in washington township is in some part part of some larger thing that white rose has been doing in the u.s for a really long time she says that this guy that's in the ground was ceo of e-corp from 86 to 95 and then she says do you know how he came to be there i basically put him in the ground she talks about how it wasn't a it wasn't an accident that he had with his plane. Uh, it was a plane crash, and that I'm, I'm thinking about doing the same thing now. She says he tried to shut her down ultimately after a scandal, and what happened was she's still in play, she's still in business, and he's not. So right. if you look at the dates with '95 and the scandal and everything that happened, that had to be the Washington Township leak, right? Yeah, it makes sense to me. And this is uh, this is the White Rose leak. This right? is the White Rose leak. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so there's a leak and a leak. There's just a lot of leaking going on here, Josh. But yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is it. So in '95, this guy had a scandal. The scandal was the Washington Township leak. Tried to shut down whatever White Rose was doing at that plant at the time. 
whatever that quote unquote project is. Whatever that quote unquote leak was involved with. And then, yeah, then he died. And White Rose is still doing it. And Philip Price is now trying to do the same thing and has White Rose thinking the same thing. Like, maybe I just need to kill you. Yeah, inclined to take the same action I did then. That's going to lead us in a little bit to a really majestic scene between White Rose and Philip Price. One last thing on the numbers. You know I'm into the numbers these days, Antonio. Yeah, 8695. Tell me more about the numbers. Yes. All right. So 86 to 95. He was the CEO of E Corp from 86 to 95. Coincidental that Elliot spent 86 days in prison. Maybe, maybe not. If it's not coincidental and if something is connected there just in terms of the meta of the show, what's going to happen on day 95? Ooh. You know, if we're, if, if 86 days is what Elliot spent in jail and let's say we're at day 86 right now or day 87 as this episode is taking place, what's happening on day 95? That's a good call, man. Just planting the flag. I, just putting I that down. I love that. You just slammed it down like you were throwing just roses on someone's grave. Yeah, <laughs> just tossed it the down, new- and now I'm going to relieve myself on this. And you leak the info out. This is great. No, I th- <laughs> we're in the 86 to 95 period yeah. right now. Like right. we're after day 86. And keep in mind, of course, as well that Elliot was. So he went to jail four days, essentially, after the hack. So he woke up, right? He woke up. It was three days later. He then goes about his business on that day, goes to Times Square, blinks everybody out of existence, goes home, gets arrested. The next morning, he's arraigned, pleads guilty in his process, and put in jail. So you're talking about maybe day 89 after the hack uh, we're at right now, uh, somewhere in that realm. Is that, does that sound right to you? Sounds right to me. Because if Elliot's been in jail for all but three days, since all but three... So Elliot's been arrested. He was arrested like three days after the hack, whatever. So we're right in this 86 to 95 day period after the hack as well. And here we are. So the numbers are are right on point with that as well. Is this a good time to talk about what White Rose may be doing at that planter factory? Do you have any suggestions or thoughts? No, it sounds like you might though. So I'd love love for you to leave those thoughts ah, out. No, I don't. I mean, uh, there'd there, be a dribble at best, but uh, <laughs> I'm shy. I'm shy. Stop looking. Maybe we can shake it around a little bit. We'll see what, what yes, shakes no, God, but, awful. Full but what I would say is ultimately I, it's something that's been going on. It seems like since 1995, her exact phrasing is ultimately that, that he had a, in the wake of a scandal, he tried to shut down my project instead He's where he should be, and my project was kept alive. So it doesn't have to be the same project, but it certainly seems like it is. So this is a project where toxic things are happening, right? There's some kind of toxic substance in play. It's at a nondescript otherwise factory in New Jersey. White Rose is an agent of the Chinese government, but also seems to have some greater plan against the United States in play. And I don't. I just don't know what this could be. If it's the fem to sell involved as well, does the fem is the fem to sell some kind of dirty bomb? Does it contain toxic material? Is is White Rose a, more of a terrorist? Has she been developing biological weapons at that plant? If so, why not just do that in China? I'm very confused by a lot of that. 
Yeah, I'm not prepared to make a prediction about the project. Like, I'm not, I'm not boned up enough on you know the nitty gritty details of charting every single dark army move and every little thing that you could connect together to figure out exactly what's going on in Washington Township. Other than that, it's deeply, deeply, deeply centrally important to White Rose's cause. Um, and however that manifests can manifest in many ways. Certainly, what we know of the plant at Washington Township in the past is that a toxic incident occurred that killed multiple people and transformed other people who we are now following on this show. So whatever that's going to be, I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders. I'm ready for the show to come up with some sort of game-changing reveal where you'll go back and you'll piece together things like, oh, God, that makes so much more sense. I'm just not there yet. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I just don't feel like we've got enough there, or at least I don't feel like I have enough to connect those dots. And yet. I'm not really either. The only thing I will say is if you wanted to make chemical weapons in China and get them into the United States, the getting them into the United States part might be a little bit tricky. It might be less tricky than if you could just make them in the United States and have them readily available. So that is the possibility. Why? White Rose would want that. I don't know. I've always read White Rose's plan to be some kind of economic takeover of the United States. I think that White Rose and the hack and everything that, that came as part of that has been with the intention to breed chaos. And the chaos is so that things can happen, like forcing e-currency, changing the standards, uh, doing that. But we'll, we'll talk about it in just a moment, the scene between White Rose and Philip Price. I would honestly be good to talk Let's about do it, it So the question I have about that scene, because it's a great scene... Again, shot really well. The paranoia is evident. You're talking like Hitchcockian levels or just really great stuff that you could have seen on Rubicon on AMC a few years ago. That's just beautiful Woodward and Bernstein-esque uh, cloak and dagger stuff that, that Price and, and White Rose are doing uh, as, the rain as, they're, and everything. as they're walking through with the rain. And the There's sh- a great interview with Michael Christopher, uh, the actor who plays Philip Price, up on Vulture right now. It was not planned to be a rain scene. It was supposed to be a beautiful day, and when they got there on the day, it was a downpour and they thought they weren't going to be able to shoot it and Sam Asma was like F it get out some umbrellas uh, that's what we call happy accidents guys yeah total happy accident and from that happy yeah. accident our son was born and we don't know what's wrong with him <laughs> oh, in this episode God. but no it's a it's cool that's really cool that it's a happy accident because I think it adds yeah. a lot to the atmosphere the way this totally. scene is shot is gorgeous uh, a lot of these long shots there's a really funny post on Reddit I don't remember who posted it. I apologize but somebody who lives in Canada showed how the shot was arranged such that the two characters in the bottom right with the umbrellas were blocked by the network logo. <laughs> Sometimes that happens yeah. with Mr. Robot. Yeah. You know? So this is a continual thing when you compose <laughs> you your shots do? a certain way. But yeah, here we are. We're they're talking. They're they're talking in vagaries uh, in, in general at first, but they get down to business pretty quickly. My question for you, Josh, is the, the scene. The upshot of the scene is that Philip Price strong arms White Rose and says basically like, "Look, if you don't give me the money." Uh, to bail out my company, then the government's going to take over your factory, the plant that right. you care so much about, the thing that's so important to you. If you don't give me the money, if China, if the Chinese government doesn't provide the money, we're screwed. And we're screwed because of you, because of that shootout that happened in China. And I don't think that was an accident. So you give me this money or we're going to have a real problem. How did that screw everything up? How does that screw things up so much that E Corp isn't going to get the government bailout that it needs? Why is he why is he laying that at White Rose? That's feet? the politics. Basically, when there was a shooting in China, 
that 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 if you'll recall there was a phone call i think that that was an episode where you might have been gone we speculated was that john boehner philip price is talking to the speaker of the house at the time and the speaker's basically saying like the optics are not good in order to get the money for the bailout we're going to have to borrow it directly as a government from china and that's not going to look good if we borrow this money in the wake of this shooting that just occurred in china where federal agents were killed optically there's no way we can get this money to give to you for the bailout but if you china would like to give us this money as a gesture of goodwill i can work with that is what philip price yeah says. and philip price is saying let's we're going to run an end around on the government you don't have to worry about the optics of the government asking china for money you as china are going to give e-corp the money directly and say it's a goodwill gesture to smooth the flames over between after what happened with the shooting when you provide us this money and by the way it'll be at low interest maybe even zero i love that then yeah. i can go to the president and say we're cool and then i think philip price is saying then i can maybe get once once you smooth the the waters over by bailing us out directly as a goodwill gesture to the american people then i can work with the president and i can take care of my own business but you've prevented me from taking care of my own business by instigating that shooting and philip price is pretty sure that white rose did that he starts the thing by saying pretty sure that wasn't an accident and by right. the end he's screaming that he's going to get revenge on white rose Right. I think the other instructive thing here, too, you know, on the topic of what is White Rose working on? What's the big deal with the plant? What's going on in there? Whatever it is, whatever whatever is going on with that, the stakes are nothing less than the third world war. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, if you're saying chemical weapons, like you said a few minutes ago, like that would that would jive. If it's some sort of weaponry, that would jive. Whatever is going on in this situation. Again, for me, still not enough information to concretely declare what is going on. But whatever it is... The magnitude, like the potential ramifications would maybe even make the five nine hack look like a child's play. You know, it could it could be really, really, really enormous if you're describing it as the third world war. Yeah, and I love that. When after after playing the stakes as such, Philip Price goes into this great speech where he talks about how I don't play fair, I play what I want. I'm, I'm a mercenary. Yes, there is no decorum with the mercenary, Josh. So there is no order, even in your threats. And then even in your watch, your watch beeps, beeps. Yes, order will not protect you. He's threatening the very thing that he knows that White Rose relies on. And he says the opposite of order, of course, is chaos, Josh, which we know Mr. Robot is a big fan of. And Philip Price gets the great line delivery. I will reign chaos. Even if it hurts me, because I would rather see you lose than win myself. Yeah. And then I love the mic drop moment. He checks his watch and like a like a just like a gangster, and he's like, "Sorry, that's all the time I have." And he walks yeah. away. Classic, classic. Throwing it really, right back really at White Rose. Philip Price, really, really good. Bold move. But here's my thing. So if you buy that White Rose sh- it did instigate that shooting for whatever reason. Uh, and let's say it was to create chaos for E-Corp. It had to be to force Philip Price's hand into this situation. White Rose had to know that Philip Price was going to ask the Chinese government for money, right? Like, isn't if we're talking about a chessboard, wasn't the shooting something White Rose did to create a response from Philip Price? Wasn't this the response that was expected? Didn't White Rose know that by doing the shooting, the bailout wouldn't happen? And didn't White Rose know that if the bailout didn't happen, something could happen to that plant unless something else happened? Is White Rose putting Philip Price in the very position White Rose wants Philip Price. Yeah, I would. I would guess so. Uh, you know, this seems like this seems like Philip Price getting one over on White Rose on the on the face of it, on the surface. Right. 
But I think that when you are looking at White Rose as order and Philip Price as chaos, someone who is as orderly as we have seen White Rose to be, who is, you know, a slave to time, who is hacking time, who is really, really very, very stuck on that concept, for her to make the move to instigate this shootout in China and not to see the ramifications coming, that there would be no bailout and therefore the government would be in control of her plan, for her not to see that coming doesn't seem like a white rose move that would seem really out of character that would seem like everything that we have seen with white rose and her ability to really carefully uh you know premeditatedly plan all of her moves all of her schemes everything we've seen so far to not see that what should be for her fairly obvious outcome coming doesn't seem right so i think philip price in this moment where philip price thinks that he is the guy he's the big gorilla in the room puffing up his chest and really you know bringing the storm to rain down upon white rose this feels to me like white rose is exactly where she wants the situation to be yeah and let's let's think of it another way if you're if you're let's say you're in a graveyard and you pee on somebody's grave Sure. Yeah, just like you do. And don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining chaos. Right. Exactly. That's perfect. That's too long for a hashtag, but it's awesome. But let's say you're doing that uh, and you you're contemplating whether or not you're going to kill the other guy who's a lot like that. Then the other guy calls himself a merc, threatens you, threatens to rain chaos down. Are you now less likely to kill this guy? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like more likely. I feel like yeah. White Rose, this, this scene, if anything, signs Philip Price's death warrant to me. White Rose was already contemplating killing him. He's now overtly threatening him and her plant, much in the same way that the guy who she's admitted to killing did. Josh, if we had a death draft right now, I'd take Philip Price number one pick. Okay, well, that's a pretty good pick. Yeah. Uh, I love this scene so much. Uh, and I really, I strongly recommend this Vulture interview with Michael Christopher, who has a lot of insight into playing Philip Price, has some insight into playing this scene. Uh, just to read you a couple of quick excerpts. This is how Michael Christopher describes Philip Price. He is passionate, but I do not, be- but I do believe he is not limited by his emotions or by fear in the way most people are. To him, I think most of humanity is a bit like an experiment. He's sees human beings as specimens, as people who are burdened by their emotions and burdened by their fears. Philip has no fear of death. I think he delights, like God, in watching human beings squirm under the burden of their emotions and fears. Gosh, that's That's what God does? Yeah, I'm glad I didn't go to Philip Price Catholic school <laughs> or Michael Christopher's. Michael Christopher's school, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's so that's one really great, uh, great excerpt from the interview. And then on the subject of this scene specifically, knowing that he can't say too much, this is what Michael Christopher says: "What can I say, and what cannot I say?" Philip and White Rose certainly have an agenda. There have been some attempts on both their parts to manipulate each other into a more or less powerful position in terms of that agenda. And I think you come into this scene thinking Philip is the underdog. Philip needs the bailout money, and he has figured out a way to get it. Then we learn this new information that White Rose murdered his predecessor, and so then there is this bailed threat. It was nice to have this opportunity to unleash the differences between our two characters. You have White Rose, who is the ultimate anal character with his ticking watch, and then you have Philip, who is the ultimate flexible, versatile guy. Suddenly, Philip expresses to White Rose the difference between the two of them. He is a mercenary, and whatever he has to do, he will do. And then there is this personal thing, which still is a question and unexplained. I would rather lose myself than see you win. There's a lot more personal going on between them than we know right now. Yeah, I think that that is that is a great continuation of 
the scene we saw when we saw them first meeting at the end of the season in the post credits sequence where Philip Price was upset about the hack. He was upset about things that had been going on with Evil Corp. He wasn't like angry, 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 but it was getting to him a little bit. And we saw White Rose there before we saw that it was White Rose, before we saw it was B.D. Wong. We heard him or her, in this case, prodding Philip Price a little bit. Oh, you are upset. Oh, these whole, you know, and Philip Price said, we have a lot of other business to talk about. So their relationship isn't just about this one factory. They do other things together as well. Whether you want to say they're a part of the Illuminati, some specific organization, or whether they're just two powerful people who are networked together because they have agendas in the world. They are just linked by their sheer, the sheer magnitude of their power. Yeah, they have to talk to each other because, look, when I need something done i've got this person who is a high-ranking official at the chinese government who also maybe is able to get some things done in a more non-traditional way maybe philip price doesn't even know everything about white rose or maybe he does or maybe he does but either way they don't just deal with this one thing but this one thing it sounds to me like for whatever reason during the events of mr robot we begin their relationship in the middle in the middle of things their relationship has probably gone on however long philip price has been ceo of evil corp but for whatever reason, we begin in the middle of things, but there is a lot of intention that's happening with White Rose throughout season one of Mr. Robot. White Rose decided to up the ante and to start this thing in place with Evil Corp and the hack. And I don't know what White Rose's intention is, but at this point, it sure seems like Philip Price is becoming an obstacle and not somebody who is an ally in this. Whereas Elliot has read, started to read more like an ally, Philip Price is reading a lot more like an obstacle, and it's not some plan that they seem to have together to do something. Thing, it seems like they're at oppositional forces. So I don't know what the, the grand scheme is. I can't wait to find out more about the story. But I do think it's great that you're saying there's something a lot more personal there because they don't just deal with this. They have a lot of other things they're dealing with. For whatever reason, this has thrown their entire relationship out of focus. And it, it is jeopardizing Philip Price's life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is it's just such a, it's a great scene. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's so great. It is it it's, is a perfect bookend it, to the the post credits of season one because things have changed dramatically. Yeah, and I think what's great about it too is while there is still so much up in the air and there is still so much mysterious and so much unspoken between these two characters, I think this scene really clarifies them in such a wonderful way uh, that it really does crystallize in a lot of ways what the dynamic is at least between the two of them. That it is you know maybe. I, you know, I got shades of like a, a Professor X Magneto relationship, you know, in, in a scene like this where they are on opposite sides of a war with some mutual respect. They are here. They are in like the, the intersecting circle of the Venn diagram where their interests are either aligned or they at least have to work somewhat in concert with each other in order to maintain their goals. But they're also secretly trying to undermine the other person's goals. There's just so much that's going on with these two characters specifically. And then as we're about to say, segue into talking about Elliot and Mr. Robot, I think one of the great things is that it's spelled out here in the dynamic between White Rose and Elliot, uh, not Elliot, and Philip Price. Philip Price saying, uh, all the order in the world, you are an agent of order, is basically what he is saying to White Rose, and Philip is declaring himself an agent of chaos. That is a black and white duality. Uh, who is on, you know, there's 
shades of gray all throughout Mr. Robot, and there's shades of gray certainly between Philip and White Rose, and I'm sure that many of the cast members on this show are living in that area. And them, you know, these two men themselves are living within that area, within the area of black and white. But I think it's a really great callback to the central dynamic at the core of this show between Elliot and Mr. Robot, who, for my money, really represent order and chaos and the merging between those two worlds in a really brilliant way as well. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that, that, that the order chaos dynamic there is fantastic because you mentioned earlier about White Rose hacking time. I think I had not thought about this until hearing you talk about it, but it's great that part of the re- the way that White Rose maybe hacks time is by being so much in control of every room she walks into, by knowing what people's agendas are before they ever talk to her, by knowing the rules of the thing so that time isn't wasted. And hacking time means controlling people and situations. And that's exactly how I read this into Philip Price. And I think the, the great connection here, and this will get us back to Elliot, is that while White Rose is at the cemetery, White Rose's butler or servant or whatever you want to assistant, his watch beeps. And White Rose, we know, is very controlled by these beeps. And it's White Rose who says, I don't care. Like, this is, we'll be late. Let him wait. And this is not a White Rose thing to do, but if her next meeting was Philip Price, it's just one more nail in the coffin that she's even willing to go outside the, the bounds of order and be late to something else if it means putting Philip Price, just making him even angrier or making him wait. That's fine. He can wait. I love that. I love that just this, this whole, just the connection that's there. There's also the really interesting connection with Elliot in that White Rose pees on the grave and then the next scene with Elliot, he's peeing in a bathroom. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So let's get back into that. That's it for the for the Price and White Rose stuff. But it was so good, so juicy. But yeah, to flash back a little bit, uh, White Rose is peeing on the grave, and that transitions into Elliot peeing in the bathroom. This is like his first moment of actual reality in forever. His first moment of normalcy, taking a piss in private. Uh, and we are going to see that there's something that's very abnormal about this scene. It's Elliot is suddenly, you know, he goes from that. He's washing his hands. He hears dark. Lean and Cisco arguing in the other room about the bat. That's when we get the sense that this happened weeks ago. Basically, like, get over it already. Uh, but the conversation takes a turn when both we, the audience, Elliot's friend, and Elliot himself hear a familiar voice in the other room. That voice belonging to Mr. Robot. How can Elliot be in two places at once? That is a very confusing situation. Of course, we find that Elliot isn't in two places at once, uh, maybe mentally. But Elliot snaps into being in Mr. Robot's shoes once he starts snooping around this conversation a little bit more. Something funky is going on with Elliot Alderson right now. Yeah, and and I I love the way that this one is the subtle introduction to it because we're going to see much more clear examples of it, right? As you as you're as you're indicating, but I think that this is this is the the great way to sneak into it in that he just hears a conversation in another room and Mr. Robot reacts to it like, oh uh, oh yeah. What, what was that? That was weird. And it's just weird between them. But to have it happen at the beginning, Elliot is, it just does not seem like something Elliot is used to. Uh, and it's not a, it hasn't happened in 86 days thing. It's, this is something we haven't seen on the show. 
Yeah, no, we haven't seen this before. I mean, we've gotten senses of Elliot and Mr. Robots and their 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 means of transitioning in and out of each other. Who's the dominant personality? Who isn't? But there is there's a sense of weakness in Elliot right now that we haven't really seen before, like a like actual physical weariness. Yeah, I mean, if White Rose is in control of every situation in every room that she walks into, Elliot is absolutely losing control of his reality of what of what is happening around him. And look. Maybe that is a side effect of controlling your reality for 86 days so that we see something different, Elliot. I'm looking at you. But maybe it's just this is this is where Elliot's at right now. And as we said, you don't go into prison and just get rid of these sorts of things by burning a journal. You have mental issues that can't be corrected in that way. So Elliot is really experiencing brownouts, much like we're seeing uh, brownouts throughout this episode. I just thought this was a wonderfully composed episode in terms of the the thematic stuff that's happening with Elliot that's happening in the world around as well. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of questions about what's going on. There's a lot of questions about what's coming next. Elliot's normal world, as he says, it is not normal because his dead father appears to him because people who he's killed, he thinks their SUVs are parked in front of his apartment. But in the moment, it's really not normal because even in a normal world where Elliot can talk to Mr. Robot, it's short circuiting. And Mr. Robot is talking to other people or Elliot, is talking to other people as Mr. Robot, and it's it's really unsettling. This is probably one of the most unsettling episodes of Mr. Robot ever. And I think it's just, a, just that says a lot. It really does. But the way <laughs> yeah. it's directed, and the way Elliot short circuits into Mr. Robot, there's just kind of a zapping noise, and then we see quick transitions, and then they're there. We had seen Mr. Robot taking punches for Elliot before, but this is something entirely different. Well, I mean, and, I mean, we've also seen Mr. Robot putting himself into a position where he is going to be punched, and then Elliot is winding up on the floor right. in the season one finale. So we've seen, you know, we've seen bits and pieces like this, but this feels like a malfunctioning. This feels like something that is not going right. Or maybe it's not. And I think that this is the best point. Uh, you know, later on in the episode, we're going to see Elliot in the subway station. You know, we're going to see him on the subway car, and he's not having access to the conversation between Cisco and Mr. Robot. He's literally isolated in a train car car with a cacophony of music of crazy music just blasting around him he is in that part of his head where he has no control and it's just noise so we know that this isn't going to stop um but we should drill down i think and figure out exactly or at least start sketching out the possibilities of what's going on here elliot is going to have a conversation with mr robot after he joins in the conversation and cisco is super sketched out by what's just happened rightfully so i think elliot's going to talk to mr robot and mr robot's going to be the one who starts the conversation mr robot's going to be the person who says what just happened and elliot is going to say i was about to ask you the same thing why were you talking to them and mr robot says i don't know buddy one second everything was normal and then you stopped like you shut down i had to say something both of them seem very perplexed by what's going on so let's let's figure this out i think you know number one is let's take it at face value right Elliot's malfunctioning that, you know, the robot is gone haywire. Something bad is happening within Elliot and it's spiraling out of control. And Mr. Robot doesn't have an explanation for it any readily, any more readily than Elliot has an explanation for it. That's number one at face value. Elliot is malfunctioning. Right. And, and Mr. Robot's concern and confusion is real. That is, that is phase one. That's, that's the baseline. That's one option. What's another option? Another option is, 
what if, you know, Mr. Robot does know what's going on? Um, what if it's Elliot who is once again in the dark? What if it is Elliot who is getting, you know, put in the corner? You don't put baby in the corner, but maybe we're putting Elliot in the corner and maybe Mr. Robot is coming out to play after all of this time that Elliot has spent being in control of his situation, being in his perfect little loop that he created this world for. Now he's back in the real world. It's gray and bleak. It's not the bright colors that he wants. Maybe he is now in a situation where he's not in control and Mr. Robot is getting back behind the driver's seat. Yeah, I think that's a great possibility. And I think that that's that's reading Mr. Robot as, I think, a more active force that if you, if you, you could also exist in a world, I think, where Mr. Robot is not actively choosing to go behind the driver's seat where maybe Mr. Robot's not confused. He understands that Elliot is short-circuiting and he's he's doing what a, a parent might do, which is try to downplay the concern or the seriousness of the moment. And Mr. Robot knows that Elliot's short-circuiting, but Mr. Robot is not actively trying to bring it about such that Mr. Robot is like, look, I, I, I want you to drive, but if you can't, and I, I don't think you can, and I'm, I've seen this before, I'm here and I can take over. So that, I mean, that's possible. It's also possible that mr robot is actively trying to create the scenario where he takes over where he is full-on saying i i want this i i want to control because it, it the the reference point on this was shown in the previously on Elliot is in the church group in prison. It's when he's gone and apologized to the warden after he's cleared things up with Ray a little bit. And Elliot's on the way back up in prison. He apologizes to the chaplain there. She says, I'll give you a little bit of a moment alone. And ostensibly it's to speak with Jesus. And of course, Elliot starts talking to his God or his prophet, Mr. Robot. And Mr. Robot is like, what, why, why, you know, why did I, or when did I, or, I think Elliot asked Mr. Robot, like, when did you start listening to me? Or when did I start listening to you? I don't remember the exact wording, but the, the goal of that scene is Mr. Robot tells Elliot, like, it's time for you to be a leader. You need to lead. And Elliot is basically saying, I don't want to lead. Now we're in a position where Elliot needs to lead. Things are going down. People from F Society are missing. The Dark Army has an agenda. We don't know what it is, as Elliot indicates, and they never did know what it was. So we need to figure that out. We need to get these things in play. And Elliot is is maybe even physically incapable of leading at this point. When the moments of leadership arise, Elliot goes away and Mr. Robot steps up. And is that not what Elliot kind of wanted when he said he didn't want to be a leader? Is that not what that argument was about? Mr. Robot telling Elliot, you be the one, you do it. And Elliot basically saying no. Yeah. I just think that there's, you know, you can go back and you can look at a lot of the scenes between Elliot and Mr. Robot just throughout the series, but certainly throughout this season so far. And a lot of it has been Mr. Robot trying to get Elliot to realize that I'm not such a bad thing in your life, that this cause is something that we need to get back to and has, you know, his, his, his means of trying to convey that message have varied. You know, he has been as violent as shooting Elliot in the head over and over and over again until Elliot finally allows himself to accept Mr. Robot. That didn't work. Uh, more softer approaches ended up working. You know, uh, Mr. Robot 
playing chess out with Elliot, making Elliot realize that it's a stalemate. You can't beat me. Um, having this whole illusory sitcom world that he sticks Elliot into so that he can absorb the punches. He can absorb the beatdown that Elliot is physically sustaining. Elliot will have no memory of it. He's trying to show Elliot, I can have actual utility for you. That seems to be the olive branch that works. Whatever it is, all of these more paternal sides of Mr. Robot that start to come out, that really starts to sink in with Elliot and gets Elliot to the place that Elliot is willing to get himself out of jail. He, you know, he plays against Ray. He makes his best move. Now those 86 days are behind him and Elliot is back on the field. Mr. Robot has gotten what he wants. And if we were to take Mr. Robot's desires at face value throughout all of that, of Mr. Robot saying, we need to work together. You know, we are in, in uh, concert with each other. We're not in opposition. Let's work as a unit. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's legit. And maybe this malfunctioning thing is something that Mr. Robot and Elliot are both mutually worried about. But there is the other possibility that Mr. Robot is making his best move to get Elliot on Team Robot again. Uh, A very, very difficult task. And now that they are back here in the free world, the man who put Stage 2 into action or proposed Stage 2, that version of Elliot is now ready to start trying to take over. Now that he is no longer inhibited by prison bars, this side of Elliot might be trying to take over the full Elliot. And the Elliot that we have come Come to know and love may have gotten himself into something that he was not really prepared for. I think that that's a very much on the on the table possibility. Let me make some observations that I think are related to that. Which, first of all, I think that is very much on the table, and I think you're 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 nailing it. But when we first start the story, the very first episode, the pilot, Mister Robot is recruiting Elliot to join F Society. That's not something that needed to happen, clearly, because Elliot is Mr. Robot. But in the context of that story, it was important for whatever part of Elliot manifests Mr. Robot that Elliot be brought into this thing, that it not be his thing, that maybe he would be more malleable or he would be more likely to be encouraged or excited about participating if he did it on his terms and not just Mr. Robot's terms. So there is that huge recruitment thing that happens in episode one, that this is this is here for me. This is the thing. This is this F society, this is a note for me to find. These are the tests that we put people through. We saw that happen and play out in the season. But what we also saw a couple of episodes later, when Mr. Robot pushes Elliot off of the rail, in part for violating a secret, a sacred pact that was formed, is that Mr. Robot wanted to blow up the plant. He wanted to kill people. He wanted to do bad things. When I say the plant, I mean the gas plant or the the, the gas factory or whatever you want to call it, the natural gas place that's next to Steel Mountain. That his plan was ultimately to get at Steel Mountain by causing a disaster in the area, which could have killed people. Elliot balked at that, but that was Mr. Robot's plan. That was the dark part of Elliot, whoever Mr. Robot is, whatever he manifests as, that was what he, that guy wanted to do. He wanted to do that chaotic, destructive thing, even perhaps malevolent thing that Elliot, baseline Elliot, that we knew from the beginning of the series that was recruited by Mr. Robot, didn't want to do. Now we're in a position where Elliot... Baseline Elliot, the Elliot that we know, lost three days after the hack. Just gone. 
just don't have any clue what happened. He wakes up in Tyrell's car. He's not sure if Mr. Robot killed Tyrell. Mr. Robot gives this half-hearted confession. I had to. It was him or us. We, uh, you know. Seems like Elliot buys it right now. I mean, he's going to say at the end of the episode, why is the, the, the man dead. I murdered, why is his car there? Yeah. So, like, he, he, he feels like he killed Tyrell. Wallen. He feels like that happened. He was absent. For whatever reason, Mr. Robot was in control. And Mr. Robot didn't say, I did it. I hated that guy. Or I did it. That guy was dangerous. He says, I, I had, it was him or us. I felt threatened. He was talking about gods and being very grandiose. It was concerning. I had to do what I had to do. But Mr. Robot says that he killed Tyrell. We don't know if that's true or not. We don't know anything that happened at all in those three days. We don't know if Elliot subsequently met with White Rose and planned out all of stage two. We don't know how any of that went down. We just know that three days later, Elliot wakes up having not had a memory of what happened in the previous three days. The assumption would be that Mr. Robot was in control that whole time and got into a lot. We see that what that looks like in this episode, whether it's the really well-composed shot you talked about where Elliot's trapped in the train car and we, we're essentially seeing Elliot literally in the recesses of the chaos of his mind, uh, which I think is something that you said to me, which... You know, just the, the the Casio keyboard playing, all of that with Cisco on the car in the next train talking to Mr. Robot, Mr. Robot being fully in control. We've had them talk this season about what it would be like if Mr. Robot was fully in control, how Elliot would feel. Would it just be a void? We're teasing into that void at this point. Uh, and I think we're doing it in such a way that we're now able to see behind the curtain a little bit. The most chilling moment in this episode in that realm to me, me is when Christian Slater is exhausted, sitting on the couch talking to Darlene, saying, I need to do this, I need to do that, speaking as Elliot, and Elliot is sitting on the other couch watching it happen. Like, that is terrifying to me, and that happens in this episode. So we're staring into that void through Elliot's eyes in this episode and seeing it play out. But the question is, if if Mr. Robot planned phase two, stage two, and if Mr. Robot wanted to blow up this thing in season one, is there any possibility that stage two, something that was planned by Elliot as Mr. Robot, is something really bad and really dark? Josh, is Elliot, is Elliot a villain? Yeah, I mean, Elliot is both the protagonist and, and antagonist of this show. You know, he embodies both sides. He is order and chaos in, in one entity. I think that that is absolutely what we have seen on the show. And I think you just pointed out some great stuff. Mr. Robot has a violent track record. And given, you know, left to his own devices, he is going to go full measure, you know, to, to quote Breaking Bad. He is going to leave no stone unturned. He's going to go for the nuclear option, the, the total destruction option option where Elliot would like to not do that. Stage two is Elliot's plan, but it is not our Elliot's plan. Uh, he is not aware of what's going on with any of that. Mr. Robot obviously is. If you want to you say that Mr. Robot has shown some humanity, some growth over the course of this season, ha has become a more empathetic, sympathetic figure throughout his time in prison with Elliot, maybe that's all true. Maybe that's all legit. Maybe stage two isn't so bad but that doesn't feel like that's where we're going to me and it feels a lot more likely to me that mr robot is 
in on what's going on right now, that when Elliot is malfunctioning, when he is being kept out of conversations, those are conversations that Mr. Robot doesn't want Elliot to hear. And when Mr. Robot is saying something weird is happening, you were here one second and then you were gone, I think that he's trying to weaken Elliot. I think that he's trying to show Elliot, let me do some talking every once in a while. I should be in control every now and then. I'll take care of some stuff. You relax. When he's telling Elliot, it's not a good idea for you and I to go and meet the dark army to make a move right now this isn't a good thing maybe it's because mr robot feels like something weird is happening in the body that we're overheating or it's because if if mr robot allows elliot to take that meeting it's not going to go well as it doesn't it doesn't go great so please don't blow my cover please don't blow this carefully thing that i have been working on i think that there are two very deliberate reads and i think only one of them will ultimately be right one of them is that mr robot truly is elliot's ally out here and they are both malfunctioning and we should be very very worried for both of these parties or Elliot is getting his ass kicked by Mr. Robot secretly right now, and Mr. Robot is really happy with where things are. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that's entirely, there, all of that is on the table. And it's, it's really scary to me that Mr. Robot maybe is overheating, as you're saying, and maybe he's concerned about the body, something is happening, or maybe he's really keeping Elliot away for any other reason. And it could be something that he doesn't want Elliot to see the plan that he formed behind Elliot's back. Maybe it's something, you know, like what you were saying, I don't know. It's just I'm starting to feel really concerned, Not not that – I guess what I felt like I think I, I think I shared this is what I felt like when we saw Elliot almost smiling when the prison door closed on him after he'd revealed that his prison world was all a lie. I felt like Elliot was was that was maybe the most scared I've ever been of Elliot. Yeah. That that he was a really scary person. That the way he smiled about it and just said, I'm sorry, I had to do what I had to do, but you understand. Let's shake on it. And he's just smiling as he's sitting and, and as the lights turn off. That's the the only time I've ever been really, really scared of Elliot. Except now I'm really scared of Elliot because I don't know if the people that are talking and, and we're we're not yada yadaing through this because I think that we're having the important discussion about the events of the episode. Elliot, they place a hack on Shun, the the, the dark army contact of Cisco's phone. Right, right. Right. They start listening to everything that Shun is saying. Cisco is upset. He's got dark army panic. He doesn't want Elliot to meet with anybody. He doesn't want Elliot even talking to these guys. Elliot forces the meeting. He gets there on the train, even though he doesn't feel like he's in the subway car talking to Cisco. Cisco is noticing that Elliot looks rattled. Elliot has promised that they're going to talk to Mr. Robot and not him. And in the moment, what we see is Elliot saying, look at me when they show up. He says, look at me. And he takes his hood off, Josh. Say my name. Say my name. It's a very clear moment like that. And, and it's basically like, it's basically saying, I'm the guy. I'm the guy you want to talk to. And he was th- seemingly doing this. His plan, as he articulated, was to by talking about phase two and by saying to the people in that moment after he takes the hood down, you tell White Rose, I want to know about phase two. That's what he says. Yeah. He wanted them to then go away with their open microphone on and start talking about what just happened. He wanted to use that 
that moment, that interaction he had to generate a conversation, to get them talking so that with the open microphone, they would go back ostensibly to White Rose and talk about the interaction and he would be able to get more information. What he gets is is the scary thing. He gets the information. He doesn't get it. Angela gets it. But what we get is the or Angela. Darlene gets it. But what we get is the information that Elliot was the one who planned stage two. Right. And that the people that are talking about it are confused. Like, why is he saying this? What is his deal? Did you read when he met Shun that Shun... They're talking about Elliot in almost reverent, hushed tones when they're talking about him. They're basically saying, he was there? You met him? Like, what did he say? And they, they're very excited. Did he touch you? Did you get his autograph? Yeah, it's like, the, he is a master, is what they're saying. And I'm... I, I By the end of this episode, look, the Elliot and Ollie and all that stuff that happens with Joanna is awesome, and we're going to talk about that. But it's I'm left with what's happening with Darlene saying this was his plan. I'm so scared of Elliot, Josh. And I'm not scared for Elliot. I'm scared of Elliot. Well, I, I think I think you ought to be scared for him as well. Uh, I think that I think that both things should be I true. Agree. And, and and I and I think I, th- I think again, like I think that that's why I am more of the option two of door number two. I am more of the mind that robot is really in on what's going on right now because he is the one who says, "I don't think we should do this." Elliot is the guy who says they're going to talk to Mister Robot. Uh, I mean me. They're going to talk to me. Uh, he is the one who's saying I am going to be the one who knocks. I'm going to put my Heisenberg hat on and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to have that conversation. But Mister Robot is the guy who is saying I don't have that for you. You know something is going on. Something's not right. We're overheating. Maybe that's true, but maybe the underlying message is Mr. Robot being like, no, we don't want to do this one. We don't want to have this meeting. Maybe Shun is as confused and baffled and seemingly upset by this situation as he is because part of whatever happened during this three-day period or another time where Mr. Robot was in control is very similar to the rules that Mr. Robot had established for F Society, but maybe the opposite of like no face-to-faces, no in-person contact and Elliot who does not have access to those edicts is going rogue and pretending to be Mr. Robot but he is not being Mr. Robot in that moment Um, this is this is why you should be scared for Elliot because he might be the kind of guy who thinks that now that he is aligned with Mr. Robot now that their causes are one now that they are uh, working together for whatever it is that they are working for that he can make moves like this and Mr. Robot who has helped him out in the past is going to come out now that he needs him all i have to do is show up and mr robot will do the talking but if mr robot doesn't want you there mr robot's not going to do a whole lot of talking probably so elliot is someone to be feared based on whatever stage two is based on everything that we know that that side of elliot is capable of but poor elliot the one that we really love and we worry about might be walking himself into several more beatdowns in the future yeah and that's what I'm not sure about. Is he trying to protect Elliot and save him from a beatdown that he'll walk into? Or or in this moment. So what happens is when you're set when Elliot says he's gonna meet Mr. Robot and Mr. Robot says the body's overheating, what he actually says before they get on the train is he says something is happening with us. We can't do this. He's right. saying we can't do this. And the we can't do this to me reads it, it reads 
and I'm I'm coming around on your version of things about Mr. Robot, everything he does always being manipulation and him actually just being a bad, bad, bad force that he's not ever actually out to really take punches for Elliot. He's only doing that as part of a larger plan. Yeah, it's like I can take a punch because I'm not a chump. I can take a punch for you, and that's me earning your trust. Yes, and we can't do this. It reads as much to me in this moment as – we can't do this because if we do it, if we go there, if we do rattle the cage and get them talking you rattle the cage. about stage two, uh, what's going to happen is right. we're going to find out that I planned it, that you right. planned it. that that or, or some other version of running into a wall. Right. That this Exactly. It could be some other version of that. But it, we're going to find out. That I'm going to be exposed. Like the things that I've been doing behind your back are going to be exposed for you. You're going to be confronted with them. And I don't want that because... I want to do what I want to do. I don't. I don't want you to stop me, and so I don't want you to find out about it. And I think that that's. I think that that's what he's saying when he's saying we can't do this. I don't think he's saying we can't do this to protect Elliot. I don't think he's saying we can't do this to stop Elliot from walking into a punch or a wall. I think he's saying we can't do this because he doesn't want to be found out. And that's exactly what happens: is that Darlene finds out that Elliot did plan stage two, and she knows about Mister Robot. So I think she's going to be able to piece together that a lot is going on that Elliot's not aware of and that they're going to have to figure out exactly what that was. Well, that's why it's really great that we had a Darlene episode, you know, like that's why it was great to have an episode with Elliot completely removed from the thing, because you're right. Darlene is the person who's going to say she's going to see stage two is his plan. Stage two is Elliot's plan. She knows about Elliot's condition. She knows about the types of things. Elliot has described this openly to Angela. You assume Darlene is aware of the Mr. Robot of it all has said, like, maybe he's the guy I need. She has said that in the past. So now that she has this information of Elliot is the architect of stage two. I think you're totally right that Darlene could be someone who follows that thread down independently of Elliot. And I think it was a really great move on the show's part to have her be such a central figure, to be the person who was carrying a full episode on her own, because I could totally see her having to carry the investigation into this idea of Elliot not being as in control of his situation as he thinks. Yeah, and I uh, should say, uh, we had a listener uh, who is a great friend of this show, Chris Eden, who has provided a lot of great feedback throughout, who eight days ago, after last week's episode, episode sent us an email saying did they just set up a darlene versus elliot final stretch she took things to another level with no support and this is about darlene killing madam executioner and chris said i lost a lot of faith in the fbi this episode perhaps season two resolution will exclude the fbi altogether and and all and dom may be involved but the institution itself is way off so chris is reading that darlene and elliot are oppositional and that even of as of last week they may be oppositional and i bring that up because that ties into other things that happen in this episode. Chris's loss of faith in the institutions is something that we see with what ha- what's happening with Angela in this episode right. in that Angela gets the information. She looks into the, the files. She finds out that there's something there. She goes to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. She meets with a guy. There is a clock ticking very audibly in that office, again, adding to the sense of paranoia. She's noticing a camera there. He says, kind of sit here and wait. And then a long time passes. It gets dark out. And then the brownouts are happening there, too. And while that's happening, she's noticing cameras in the office. 
And then a really weird lady shows up and says, hey, come with me. Walk down this endless hallway and meet with some of my colleagues. And she's really pumping Angela for information. Yeah. By the way, if you reach the end of the hallway, you will win a trip to Belize or perhaps a vacation to Epcot. Exactly. Oh, a vacation to Epcot. I like that. That sounds fun. Tomorrowland. We can go there. Uh, But yeah, that it's... You get the sense that like if she... At least this is what it feels like for Angela's like, I go down that hall, I'm getting a bullet to the face. Yeah, it had it had two reads to me and both of them were death, right? It was like uh it was like a long hallway like the Green Mile, like she was walking down, like execution was at the end of it. Uh even though it was some nameless bureaucratic cold place, uh, it felt like that Cold play? Cold play was yes, there? Yes, there was a scientist in another room and they were working on clocks for White Rose. Uh <laughs> yeah. so yeah, that even whose pee is yellow. Whose pee is yellow. So <laughs> it all ties in, baby. So it was perfect. Cold play is the answer to all of this. But yeah, she's walking down that room. She's no, the hall. She's noticing cameras everywhere. And ostensibly, this lady who's like a senior investigator, a deputy director at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is giving it the Robert De Niro in Goodfellas. Like, hey, just come on down. I got some stuff I want to show you, Karen Hill. Like, this will be fine. Just come on over. It'll be fine. Come talk to my colleagues. They're right in the next room. They're right here. Come on. You're so close. Yeah. yeah. And I also read it like if you wanted to read it on a metaphysical level, this is like if, if Angela were in a coma. This is the moment where she chose not to die and she chose to walk back uh, and, right. and, and live. She walked away from death. Like it's got that sort of other side. Like Sopranos had a, a great memorable sequence like this where a character maybe had a, a pull or feel like they should have gone in one direction, but their gut told them to do another thing. And you had a feeling if they went in that other direction, it would have been lights out forever. So I got that distinct impression with this scene with Angela and that's a loss of faith in the system. And then it comes back later when Angela's meeting with DDP and she, Angela very almost frightened, terrifyingly says, are, are you working for them? Right. You know, and them could be evil corp. I think her impression is that, that, that the feds in question, the people that were leading her down this hallway, they probably worked for evil corp. That, that maybe if the FBI is capable of working for evil corp, she can't trust Grace or DDP, Grace Gummer. So I think all these things are, are possible with Angela's storyline. And I think that loss of, of faith in systems has been a theme this season. And I think we're seeing it play out with Angela in this episode. Yeah, I think what's great about that scene is until proven otherwise, until there's, you know, until we see Nina Myers again, you know, the Nina Myers looking lady. Oh. Yeah, until we see them all once again. I mean, I think that you can, it's pretty ambiguous, but I think that the, that the central emotion that it's supposed to elicit, that's pretty consistent across all of these interpretations is you're supposed to feel really unsettled. You're supposed to feel that Angela feels that it's life or death, whether or not that this person is uh, a, a, an agent of E Corp. Maybe an agent of the Dark Army, you know, now that we know how invested the Dark Army is in Washington Township, or at least White Rose is, that this could be somebody who is working on behalf of them to keep this thing hush-hush, or potentially it's Angela overreacting. You know, that is also possible, that Angela's like, no, I shouldn't do this, I can't do this yet. Um, All of these options are possible until further notice. And then we do get this really, really terrific scene with DDP that I think is instructive in its own ways. Yeah, it's, it's, it's DDP bursting and doing what she does, just being a little bit non-traditional, being slightly confrontational by trying to be cavalier. Uh, we know she has a way of fighting her way into buildings. We saw her with Romero's mom. Uh, we've seen her doing work like this in the past. She just barges in with quote-unquote Angela's favorite, Mia's Heroes, which I think is a reference to the Greek place that Angela lied and said she was making plans with the FBI agent to go to and why she was on the crazy floor. I think that's DDP's quiet way of throwing that 
back in her face. Like, don't think I forgot about that. And she goes on this, this great discussion of dreams and how DDP has had this dream of, of somebody, a beautiful woman, uh, and being choked and, and all these things were happening, being choked underwater. And she brings up to Angela in a, in a very direct way. Like, Ollie Parker told me about the CD at Allsafe. It was literally the it's first the, it's thing. It's the first thing he said Shocker. after he told us he's a huge Josh Groban fan. Yes, after he told us, he was, and, and then told me he loved me. Uh, right. Then this was the first thing out of his mouth. Uh, and then he talked about his Twitter, uh, his Twitter feed. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is DDP pushing the, the lines with Angela a little bit. We already know that she's a fisherman, DDP, in that she goes for information uh, that maybe the, the, the people in her department are telling her not to. She was doing the same thing with Mobley. This sort of weird psychological head games confrontational thing we know she's been playing that game with angela she mentioned she's been following angela but i think a connection is forming here between the two of them angela had talked with the guy at the nuclear regulatory commission about possibly getting whistleblower protection and anonymity and you get the feeling that grace gummer ddp could actually be an ally in that regard and that ddp is probably her own independent actor and not working for the dark army not working for e-corp actually just doing doing a job and doing it well and doing it in her way and that that way might actually be something that Angela will respond to. Yeah. Well, the next person who comes along isn't going to have food for you. You know, they're going to, they're going to yank you into a van and drive you back to that hallway is basically what DDP is saying. Like you should take this life raft right now. You should come aboard and you should work with me and we should figure this out. I think it's a legitimate, genuine offer, at least to some extent. Angela would certainly see jail time for what's gone on, I would imagine. Uh, but I think she, it's like that's preferable to the other outcome, which is you are going to get yanked into the void and you are just going to be left there forever. Yeah. And, and DDP is saying, like, we need to give up your fear. And, and even that's ironic because she's using that fear and saying she's playing good cop and referencing what bad cop would do. But she's also saying, she says, in that dream when I was being drowned, it was when I stopped fighting it. When I finally let go and stopped struggling so much, that's when I survived. And that's her way of saying, look, I understand what you're trying to do here. You're trying to get away with a lot. You're trying to cover up what happened. You're trying to do all these things. If you just give that up. If you just surrender that and you give in and stop fighting, then I think you'll feel like you're actually alive. You'll have a great weight lifted off your shoulders. And I, I think that might resonate a little bit with Angela. What I think will be more resonant, though, is her larger goal seems to be to get this information about E-Corp. She's gotten it. She's found out they're still poisoning people in her hometown. I'm pretty sure her dad still lives there. So I'm pretty sure that's where Angela visits or has visited. Uh, maybe she doesn't care about the plumber getting poisoned. But other than that, I feel like this is an area that's important to her. They're still poisoning people there. If she wants to be heard on that subject, she went right to the regulatory commission, and they seem to be working for the bad guys. Maybe she can use DDP to get that out there and to take Evil Corp down, and maybe DDP will see that as being something else that needs to be addressed. I don't know. But I, I think this is just a fantastic scene. Is there any subtext in her dream, Josh, the fact that she was dreaming about a beautiful woman? Yeah, you and I were talking about this offline, um, about the idea that, and it's something that's been in the air ever since DDP confessed to White Rose. Like, I had a, I almost had a fiance. I was in this relationship. Uh, I turned it down. I joined the FBI instead. And people took a lot of note, you and I included, of DDP saying they rather than he or she, you know, in reference to the person who was almost her fiance. In this, she talks about dreaming about a beautiful woman, sexy even, and then being choked underwater. And who knows if those two things are related. 
but do we do we want to be suspicious of like is there somebody on the show that was going to be uh proposing to ddp does ddp have romantic history with somebody on the show and if so who we've all also made a lot about the fact that there are uh there are multiple washington townships in new jersey um that the place that that ddp is from teaneck is actually not far from a washington township there's been a lot of talk about that i think with the woman thing being brought in are we wondering that ddp had a relationship with another woman and if so is the most obvious candidate on the board Darlene because it clear it clearly seems like DDP and Angela don't know each other intimately well unless this is all some intricate ruse between the two of them of them really talking around a big elephant in a room and I've been trying to see if you can read it that way and I don't feel like you really can um, or is there going to be some sort of reveal down the line that DDP and Darlene are linked and is that going to come just in the nick of time as the news seems to be tightening on Darlene who we've laid out the case for why she could be in trouble pretty much from multiple different angles. We've talked about that thoroughly across these podcasts, one of which is the Instagram connection to the to the careful massacre right. of the bourgeoisie. Uh, you were right on the nose last week that the tape that Darlene uh, left behind of her with the mask, taking it off, that's all captured on video. That tape was left behind at Madam Executioners. There's, just, there's no shortage of ways that Darlene could get busted. Is it going to be a narrative payoff down the line that just in the nick of time... Uh, there's somebody that she has history with in the FBI in the form of DDP, somebody who can either help or bury her in that moment. Yeah, we had a great email from Gianfranco Gervasio that said something very similar. And Gianfranco, it's too long, I can't read it all, but he articulated very well that DDP, we have to keep in mind, as you're pointing out, multiple Washington townships, was she connected? When she tells White Rose why she joined the FBI. She says, I was and I am disgusted by the selfish brutality of the world, but at the same time fascinated by it. The FBI is a perfect place for that contradiction. And is it possible, John Franco raises, that DDP in fact joined the FBI in part because of the stuff that went on in 1995? And does she maybe have a goal or does she have issues with with the evil corp of it all as well? And right. is that something that is that is present with her motivation that may be a secret that we we don't know as an audience yet that we can only draw the lines around by saying Washington Township, TNAC, by saying everything that we know about her time period. And maybe Darlene was a childhood friend and maybe they had this thing. We know that that relationship was described as a law school thing, but it could be something else. We don't really know. And so it's it's fascinating. DDP, great character. I mean, they're killing Love it. Love DDP. They're killing yeah. it by with Grace Gummer and Michael Christopher, just these new regular series regulars, although we'd seen Philip price last season just featuring them more this season it's been awesome those are two great great characters and there's a lot to suss out uh, i think still with what's happening with with ddp and with what her true motivations are and whether it has any relation to any of the characters we know as we're just talking about or whether there's and something we're spitballing more. on that we're right spitballing now. on it but josh as you're pointing out a lot of what we spitballed on has ended up being what's happened so i think it's worthwhile to spitball 
Sure, throw it out there. Absolutely, I think I think is totally fair. And and when you and I were talking about this offline, you also made the great observation that isn't Darlene's like central problem with Cisco during season one that he proposed to her and she had like a nuclear reaction to that and burned the relationship down. Yeah, uh, and that would be a you know an interesting response to the idea that Darlene had proposed to DDP once upon a time and got horribly rejected and was furiously burned on romance from that point forward. So lots of possibilities up in the air. Just something to ponder for now uh worth saying out loud in case it pans worth saying out loud again yes yeah yeah, absolutely So the other thing uh, before we leave the Angela scene, I know you've noticed it. I know a lot of people online have noticed it, uh, that Angela's wardrobe, you know, uh, is is very, very close to the Mr. Robot attire. She does not have the mask, but otherwise she has the white button down shirt. She's got the black jacket. She really does look like Mr. Robot, Ms. Robot right now. Yeah, she really, it's just a couple things missing. I don't know if this is an active choice that Angela has made or if she's just slowly morphing into this. Well, it's certainly not a not you know this is a very deliberate show. So putting her in Mr. Robot clothes is a deliberate choice on the show's part, and it's really up to us to kind of divine what that. Yes, means. exactly. There and there have been a lot of observations that that what's happening is is ultimately is ultimately that Angela is 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 changing. That she was always in white the first season, and she's been in more dark clothing this season. And this could be just something along that continuum, uh, but. I, Jonathan Schwartz pointed out something interesting earlier in this episode. He emailed in a screenshot. I think this is probably elsewhere online as well. When Angela is uploading the files to a USB drive, she is seeing the name the name of the file not as eCorp Press, but as Evil Corp. And I don't know right. if this was an error. Uh, Jonathan was wondering if we thought it was a production error or if this speaks to Angela's mentality or psyche that's being warped or shaped. Uh, she Again, part of the same toxic sludge, but doesn't have, as far as we know, multiple personalities, crazy mental history in her family, something that would cause her a problem like that. But no. but it's interesting. But she's had she's had a robot persona of her own in a, in a way. I mean, she has gone stone cold robot throughout much of this season. You know, her time in E Corp, she is basically a different human being a lot of the time, as opposed to the really bright and bubbly woman that we knew throughout a lot of season one. Um, granted, she went through her own trials and tribulations throughout that as well. But at the end of the day, she was somebody who would go out and have a beer and have a good time. You would get that sense from that person, and that is not the person that we've seen this. No. season we've seen somebody in a really dark place we've seen her uh, really reprogramming herself by yeah. reporting by repeating phrases over and over again and going through a, a literal mental reprogramming and yeah. so that is what she's been doing so is this is this a symptom of that is she headed right. on the wrong road it's possible yeah, no, it's just interesting that as she has become more robotic in her in her personality and her reprogramming of herself in order to achieve these greater goals that she has had, that she's also now physically resembling a Mr. Robot. You know, she is now physically resembling the F Society mascot. She is potentially looking at E Corp files as Evil Corp, or at least that that would be a signal to us from the production standpoint of this is where Angela is starting to head toward, that she is moving more toward an F society type of cause or a robot type of personality um i think that that's interesting i don't think that it's impossible that it's you know it could be a production error that's totally possible too another possibility with the timeline being as wonky as it's been on the show this season 
you know, events occurring out of order weeks ago, uh, you know, and that that information being conveyed very subtly. You really have to pay attention to really keep that timeline in track. It's not impossible that this is, you know, Elliot's perspective seeing that material at a later date or maybe even an earlier date. Yeah, uh, it, that that is also possible. And that's something that had occurred to me, which is that she has this goal, but do we know that no one else has it? Do we know that at no point was it mentioned to somebody else? Is there something that happened off screen? We don't really know. One of the things we haven't seen a ton of this season is Elliot and Angela together. We did get the scene where she ostensibly visited him in prison where they talked about how she could go do this horrible thing and hack the FBI, but that was really all we've got. And uh, yeah, they she pops up in the, the, the sitcom episode. Uh, she does pop up, but we're not seeing a ton of Elliot and Angela time. There's no E&A time that's really developing here. Uh, I just think it's really great to see her evolving on her own course, but evolving in such a way that makes her a lot uh, more similar to Elliot than not. She almost uses this rubber ducky very like like she used like she took it like a rubber ducky to water. Like she really did it just did it perfectly. She popped it in, she pulled up the file, she knew where to go, she knew what to do. She did all that very smoothly. She's becoming very good at the sorts of things that F society does, whether it's social engineering or otherwise, it makes sense that she's starting to cloak herself in the way that the, their mascot dresses and that she's seeing files the way that their people see them. So I think that that's a really great subtle thing, whether it's a production error or not. As you said earlier, the rain uh, was a, a happy accident, but it's a great it's a great comparison to the warm, cozy fire where those two first met the first time we saw them in the same place together at the same time. Right. So whether it's an accident or not, there's, there, it, it, there's, there's value to it. And the value comes from the rich characters that they're in the process of developing. And I think that that's all really, really good. You mentioned how Darlene uh, is is involved with with that as well in that she is sitting there on the couch observing all of this on her own, listening to these things on her own, being rattled when she discovers what's happening with with Elliot uh, and finding out that it's his stage two. She's also the recipient of a weird knock where we don't exactly know what's happening next. And I think that that is, uh, I think that that's very much a parallel to that end of season one, which is an episode that begins with Lenny Michael Shannon and that that ends with a knock, and here we are again doing the same thing. Were you frustrated by this? Another knock, and who's there? No, I love it. I think it's great. Okay, me too. Uh, I, I just love it. It's a it's a great stylistic flourish, and it's a great tip of the cap, and you know, coming full circle type of moment for Darlene to now have somebody knocking at her door. I really thought that we were going to end that episode with Darlene getting arrested because that noose really is tightening, and you're just waiting for that to happen. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's still to come. If you know the people who are knocking on the door are the cops in in the way that you know the authorities came for Elliot. I think that's totally possible. It could just be Cisco coming back. With with really bad news. It could be Tyrell Wellick. You know, it could be that um, Elliot is going back to his home and he, as quote unquote Ollie, is going to interact with Joanna while Darlene is about to interact with Tyrell. There's a lot of different possibilities out there. And it's just a fun thing to keep us guessing for another week. Yeah. And it was introduced, this mystery with Darlene, in part because we had this charade with the tape that they she forgot the tape somehow, that it was there, that she remembered it. Speaking of donning the clothes of the Mr. Robot mask, 
Scott, the time when she wore the clothing and recorded the statement. She sees it on TV. She sees Nancy Grace talking about it, and she remembers that she doesn't have that tape, and that tape has her on it. She sends Cisco there. Cisco finds the tape. He also finds something else. Again, we don't see what it is. We don't know what it is. Josh, my guess is this is our son. Oh, you think Mobley is is camped out at Madam Executioner's? Yeah, but that person who's camped out was groaning and panting. I wonder if Mobley's camped out, bleeding out. Uh, well, I mean, this happened weeks ago, right? Like, everything that happened with Madam Executioner happened weeks from the moment that Cisco returns. So has Mobley been bleeding out for three weeks? Yeah, maybe he got stabbed, got infected, couldn't go to a doctor because he was worried they were looking out for him and is just, like, feverish, like, stab. I'm, I'm, I'm sad having these thoughts about our son, Josh. But, yeah, I don't know. That's that's the uh, that's my guess is that Mobley is there in some very very poorly state. So I don't think it's Cisco or anyone related to that knocking on the door. I do think it's the FBI or the Feds. I think that the noose has been tightening around Darlene's neck. But I also think that if they have been under surveillance, the idea that Cisco wouldn't be under surveillance is is wrong. I just right. don't I don't I don't think that he wouldn't be under surveillance if he was part of them. He's enough of a crony. I don't know. I just think that that that's that's entirely possible that the feds are involved in some way with cisco uh i think that that you know that could be that could be what's going on there or it it just could be it could be tyrell that's a fascinating thing it could be a character like that coming in out of the the cold because as we see Elliot's voiceover, this last final scene, Elliot's voiceover is it began as a failure, everything, my existence. I should recognize that, accept it. For me, there's no such thing as normalcy. My dead father appears and disappears at will. I talk to you, invisible friend, I'd ask if you're normal, but you'll never talk back. And then right. as we're seeing all this happen, uh, he sees Tyrell's SUV there. Joanna Wellick rolls down the window, says, hello, Ollie, which is the name he gave her in their one and only interaction in season one. She seems to remember him him as Ali. I don't know what's going on here, Josh. We've had a lot of feedback about this. People, uh, Kimberly Castro has been sending in some really deep thoughts about whether Tyrell and Elliot are part of the multiple personality smorgasbord where we know Elliot <laughs> has many of these things. We talked yeah. about this a lot in our Robot Road, whether there's any truth to Tyrell Elliot. It doesn't seem like the show that we've seen so far allows for that because Tyrell has so many interactions with other people. But clearly there is something between Joanna and Elliot. Clearly there is something in that three days that caused Joanna to protect Elliot, to kill someone, to keep that secret, and to be waiting for him outside of his apartment. Do you have any inclination what that might be? I mean, I'm only inclined and, you know, no disrespect intended. I just, I, I'm out on Tyrell. I know, you're all the way out on Tyrell. And I am like 75 to 90% out on Tyrell. I'm 100% out you. on Tyrell. I got yeah. you. So it's, it's hard for me to engage. I just think that that's too much to throw out at that at the show. Um, I think that Tyrell has been shown to have too much agency and individuality for him to be another manifestation of Elliot with interactions with other characters who have also interacted with Elliot. It just and we've tried to and we've tried to and we've tried to read those scenes. But where, um, but where that thought is that coming openness. from? There's something like not that they would be the same. But oh sure, it's coming from this confusion between how Elliot and 
and Joanna relate to each other, which is exacerbated by her showing up at his doorstep at the end of this episode. There is something we don't know as an audience. It doesn't have to be that they're the same person, but there is some familiarity there. There is something there that caused Elliot to be really rattled when Joanna was talking to him. That caused her to be like talking in Danish to him. If you've done something to my husband, I will kill you. I don't know if that was her recognizing something else. I don't know what that was, but there's something there. So I understand why people are sussing that out. That's the right place to be sniffing. There's there's going to be something here that we learn, hopefully as oh, soon yeah. as next episode, about their history, about why she re- re- reacts and responds to Elliot the way that she does. Yes, a million percent, yes. Uh, 155,000%, yeah. That's absolutely something that's going to tip over, maybe next week, maybe by the end of the season. Everything that, you know, there's so much convoluted between Elliot and Tyrell that we just don't fully understand what the connection is truly between these two characters. That's forthcoming. That's on the way. That might be, I I would bet, you know, if I had to put money down, I would would bet money that by the end of the season, that relationship is a lot clearer than it's been. Um, And I think that, you know, we only have a couple hours of Mr. Robot season two left at this point only a few more weeks of covering the show for season two and we still haven't really gotten a full answer on tyrell i mean you can take mr robot at his word that yeah we killed him and you could leave it there i don't think that's wise i think that there's a much bigger tyrell answer that's forthcoming feels to me like it would be you know we've waited this long right we've waited this long to find out where tyrell is what tyrell has been doing that i think it's going to be a truly an 11th hour type of reveal and one Once that information starts coming out, I think a lot of the massive reveals that we've seen about Elliot versus Mr. Robot and Mr. Robot's true place in Elliot's life and where it might be right now if we are through door number two, as we've called it, and this idea of Mr. Robot still trying to manipulate Elliot, that reveal could be forthcoming and I think it could be even trumped or potentially it's in concert and in lockstep with whatever the Tyrell reveal is going to be. I think that's coming. Do not think that Tyrell and Elliot are the same person, but I think whatever reveal is coming between Tyrell and Elliot, I'm looking for that in probably an episode or two episodes from now, and I'm expecting that to be one of the major, major reveals of the whole show so far. Yeah, I agree. But I think you have to be very careful with that because for it to be a major reveal that pays off on Mr. Robot lying to Elliot about it, covering it up, keeping all these things under wraps. I think the the main way I'm reading that in an Oakham's Razor kind of way, in the simplest answer kind of way, is some plot was hatched without Elliot's real knowledge. That it involved the Dark Army, it involved the next stage, it involved Tyrell, it involved all of it. This is in the three days after the hack while Elliot is under. Mr. Robot I couldn't trust Elliot, so he hasn't told him. He's kept that secret from him. That's a major problem between Elliot and Mr. Robot, that Mr. Robot doesn't really know how to manage and massage and hasn't found a way to fix with Elliot, so he's continued to lie about it. Part of why he's trying to cover up all these things, which may give Elliot more information, is he doesn't want Elliot to know about it. And I think part of why he doesn't want Elliot to know about it is Elliot, baseline Elliot, very unreliable guy. The kind of guy that does willingly go to jail. The kind of guy that you do have to worry might feel guilty about certain things. He has emotions, actual human emotions, and he might do things to jeopardize this. So it's easier to keep him in the dark, and you don't want him to know. That's the baseline reason and why it could be a big payoff to every, everything we've done with Elliot and Mr. Robot if it's still just a surprise plan and we find out what happened in the three days. The other flip side of that, though, the 15% of me or whatever that thinks that Tyrell Elliot could work is if there's this other thing happening in, in a season that starts with Mr. Robot 
robot shooting Elliot in the head repeatedly and later saying he shot Tyrell in the head, that if you're going to set up this big Elliot Mr. Robot thing, one of the ways for the Tyrell thing to be a huge deal, and I'm not saying it would be good because I think it would be problematic, is if Tyrell Elliot is a real thing. So I, I'm only saying I agree everything that you're saying. I agree with everything that you're saying about it needing to be a big reveal, about how it will be a big reveal, about how keeping Tyrell at bay hasn't necessarily been a bad thing, and I think it will be paid off. I'm just concerned with option B, door B, if you want to call it that, in terms of that reveal is Tyrell Elliott, and I think that's the more problematic one. I'm not saying the show couldn't pull it off, but I agree with you that it just doesn't seem like they could, but I can understand why that's occupying people's headspace. Uh, I, I understand also why you're 100% out, and I'm almost out. all the way out on it, but I think that's what people are saying. I think they're saying the same as you. We've kept Tyrell away for so long that for him to come back, it's going to be a big thing, and it's going to be a big deal, and I think that's one of the, the biggest big deals people can think of, but but again, the show already did that. So I just don't want it to be the case. So that's that's the other thing. Blue Bear said, emailed in and said he thinks or he or she thinks people's frustration with this season is episode nine. We still haven't had an answer of what happens to Tyrell. And Blue Bear said, we are living in a binge Netflix society now. We want immediate answers. My point throughout this thing has been when you take in Mr. Robot season two on a binge, it's going to be a blip. Yeah, exactly. Two days from when you see Tyrell be missing, you're going to find out what happened to Tyrell. You're going to plow through eight or nine episodes in those two days, but it's going to be literally two days. For us, it's been it's been a year and almost a half now right i think on the binge it's gonna play wonderfully. exactly so <laughs> it's, it's tough on the week to week but on the binge that's gonna be majestic Yeah, and i think the very difficult thing and this is a by means of kind of wrapping this podcast up the very difficult thing we've talked about that mr robot i think is executing at a high level and where i've planted my flag in saying i think once season two is said and done we'll look back and say they were executing at a much higher level than we even realized we're, you know it's like going to a tightrope act and watching the people on the tightrope and being like oh my god they're great and then you tilt your head up and you look like 60 feet higher and you're like, holy crap, there's another tightrope up there that I didn't right. even know people were performing on. Right. This whole performance is different. I think that's how season two is going to read when it's all said and done. And I think the Tyrell reveal is going to be part of that in that it's going to be something that changes or impacts the way we look at the character interactions and everything that went through with Mr. Uh, Mr. Robot and Elliot. I think that's going to be a huge part of it. And so I think the way the simplest answer is that some plan was formed while Elliot was under Mr. Robot has been keeping that from Elliot. And I'm thinking right now that that's because it's a dangerous, bad, malevolent thing that Mr. Robot wants to do. And he doesn't want Elliot to stop him. He tried the, the, the way in season one where he would get Elliot to agree to do it. Elliot pushed back against that and tried his own other plan and that's fine. But now Mr. Robot with phase two, stage two wants to do it his way. And it's going to be a bad thing that Elliot actually, baseline Elliot, would reject. And that's why we've been in the dark on it. And I do think it might involve the Wellix and the Dark Army and all of that to a larger extent. We are on the same page. Good. We are, we are, are on the same page. Are we on page. the same Henry? We are on the same Henry. <laughs> That's good. That's fun. Uh, yeah, we are on the same page. We are on the same Henry about all of that, everything, except for I'm, I don't have 25% for yeah. Tyrell. Yeah, I got you. Me, I but, got you. But uh, I appreciate that you do. I think that's too far down the robot hole for me. And I have so much faith in Mr. Robot being able to perform and execute on so many different things. They would really have to knock that out of the park for me, and I don't know that they could do it. So anyway, enough about that. If you want to keep shipping Tyrell, keep shipping Tyrell. I just believe there will be an answer in either event 
by the end of the season, but probably it's going to take until the end of the season to get there. But the good news is we are going into to Elliot and Joanna Wellick in this upcoming episode. Maybe there's some more illumination on Tyrell through that. That should be a very great interaction. Really looking forward to that. I hope that Joanna just calls him Ollie the entire episode. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Just continually calling him Ollie. And then even saying, like, Ollie, I don't like this name, Ollie. Where does this come from? Like, just yeah. tr- trashing the name Ollie. It's funny. There is a subreddit on reddit called f u ollie or f ollie and it's based on game of thrones but mr robot wanted to take it over so it's <laughs> like so two too. ollie characters on two shows that are really playing out there i i think that's great i i'm really looking forward to that next week i don't know what to make of all the recording device paranoia in this episode of the fact that when darlene is looking at things on her screen and she gets up and walks away to look at the tape we see a close-up of the volume and bluetooth icons on the laptop when angela is in the nuclear regulatory guy's office we see a a jabra speaker in close-up in just a brief moment sitting on his desk i don't know what to make of all of this if it's just there to bring the paranoia or if there are other shoes that are dropping on that as well darlene is saying elliot's place might be bugged i don't know who this is great i just i feel like after nine episodes of mr robot i'm very 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 paranoid i'm hopeful for good things what the show wants to do that's exactly right the show is succeeding for people who say that it isn't i'm feeling i think exactly how the show wants me to feel after nine episodes and if that's not success i don't know what is i think it's success i think it's success i think this podcast was a success antonio this was really really fun to chew on everything anything else from this week are you good no that's good what's the hashtag uh, I don't think that we trumped Lenny Michael Shannon. Lenny Michael I Shannon. That, I think that that was really good. I know that you said don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining chaos was too long for hashtag. Yeah, but you, if anyone you, wants to give it a shot, you, you can try. You had a really good one there, Josh. <laughs> you can try. You can try. All right. Tweet those our way. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. How many Zs? How Two many Zs, R's? one R. Two Zs, one R. We will be back next week talking about Mr. Robot barreling towards the season two finale. Just a few weeks away. I'm really into this. I know you are as well, Antonio. Hopefully you guys who are listening are also really deep down the robot hole with us. I'm very satisfied with season two right now and really looking forward to where we go next. Antonio, I will talk to you next week. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye, friend.